0: The dulcet tones of your sweet voice, Glenn.
1: I have a poem. I wrote a poem, by
0: the way. Oh, well, uh, well let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to guess what I, it's about. I
1: was I was moved by the ending of the Apple Filing, so, and I've been listening to Hamilton way too much. Are you a fan of Hamilton? Have you been listening to it?
0: I, I have not. I am aware that it exists, and I'm aware that it's a sensation. And I agree that the premise sounds... Uh, It sounds fascinating, but I've actually not like watched or listened to any of it yet.
1: It's kind of a brain virus. Like I'd heard about it. I sort of was like, well, maybe I'll wait. I'll see it some, I don't want to. And then I was like, well, listen to a song and then you just spiral down. So this is, this is my poem inspired by the end of the Apple brief. With apologies to Hamilton. Uh, Your Honor, we must aver in reading Brandeis, government zeals a danger, not understanding the scope of their pleading. The danger to liberty lies within mistreating Americans' rights. We posit they're exceedingly well-meaning, but insidious, encroaching, demeaning. <laughs> there we go. Very well said. Uh, Nipsey Russell for the ages. Um, <laughs> I've also been reading uh, Aaron Burr <laughs> papers because you know how the... The government cited... Yes, uh, yes, that, I do. I, I've been actually going back and reading some of the historical documents, including some books from the 1800s and some later books written about it, found an interesting article from 1982, have been looking at the original ciphers, that uh, the codes and ciphers they used. It's a very fascinating thing to see what the state of cryptography was in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, so it all comes back to Hamilton. It kind of does. It's, it's <laughs> really kind of funny.
0: Um <laughs> <laughs> this is a tweet from my pal Buzz Anderson last night. Who would have thought mm-hmm. Aaron Burr would get so much attention in
1: 2016? It's <laughs> a little weird. And then yeah. they did a Hamilton performance at the White House, like not long after the FBI was citing the Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr ostensibly wanted to become the Emperor of Mexico. Hmm. He had a plan. American history is kind of awesome and strange, let me tell you. <laughs> the Emperor of Mexico. Emperor of Mexico. He was going down the Mississippi. To try to uh, schedule some kind of event, and a general who didn't want to get caught up with it had been corresponding with him for years, uh, turned over the ciphered uh, letter, and uh, there's a trial, and he was found innocent of treason because uh, uh, the justice in the case I'm blanking. His name famous justice Marshall. Marshall, thank you. Said uh, you, that no actual like event had occurred, so it wasn't treasonous to discuss this, even if that's what was discussed. So he was well, how would it that. have
0: been treason to become the emperor of Mexico, since it's not? It wasn't trying to become the emperor of the United States. Uh,
1: he was trying to raise uh, armed forces to fight against a separate another nation yeah. that, without the support and authority of America, so there was some like. Uh, i 'm losing the detail there, but it was under it was treason because he was acting against the interest and in stated policy of America in waging war, or that was the intent, mm. but without actually doing it so uh, yeah, Burr wound up living for decades after that and uh, never quite got back to the same position he had when he was vice president between the duel and then uh, treason trial, and then um, just kind of people not really wanted to be what simplistic.
0: is the i what 's the story of the duel that 's this one of those things that it's like you file it under your head that that the revolutionary times were crazy and that they were, you know, like the remnants of the medieval era was still, you know, floating around.
1: Well, it's complicated. Most things, dueling was, was mostly banned. It was, and it was, you know, it was, I believe it had gone out of practice in England. I think it was practiced in the barbarous colonies. Right. And uh, I am reading the Chernow biography of Hamilton now. So I haven't gotten to the intricacies there. I recall from my past reading and and reading some things after uh, the play, uh, sort of become popular, went back and reread and they had to go to New Jersey and there's a line in the, in the musical, you can do anything in New Jersey, right? You can just, <laughs> everything's legal in New Jersey. It's a joke. And, uh, they had to go to New Jersey because it was still ostensibly legal, but you know, manslaughter was, and, and murder was still illegal. So you could, ostensibly in some States, uh, you could duel. And if no one was injured or killed, you might just walk away from it. But, um, it not was much, done. not
0: much of a duel though, if nobody's injured or.
1: Well, it's to satisfy honor. I mean, that's All the right. thing. Um, it's, it's funny, the rit- ritualized violence. There's a really great essay in uh, the New York Times from a few days ago, these philosophers talking about what violence is. And they argue that violence isn't an act in itself. It's a, violence has a cycle. You know, there's an attack. You attack someone, that's not per se violence in their definition. It's that you're dealing with a cycle that perpetuates itself. That is violence. And it's a great discussion that deals with uh, sports as a representation of, uh, of a force and violence in a controlled fashion and violence at the Trump rallies. And uh, it's a, I was blown away by it. But dueling is part of that tradition is, yes, it's overt violence, but it is also under very specific constraints. And a lot of the time, duels didn't result in anyone being hit. Hmm. And that was the point. But everyone got to satisfy the fact that they expressed a form of ritualized violence without actually killing someone. But you could also kill somebody.
0: So why did Burr and Hamilton get in a duel?
1: Uh, Burr uh, was... Well, let's see. And this this is well. You have to you have to watch the musical. There we go. Got to go get tickets right. somehow. Uh, spend five thousand dollars to get tickets. But the the duel, the subject, of the duel was that um, uh, basically Hamilton was talking smack about Burr, and probably rightly so. Burr really shifted to whatever he needed to do. He had done a lot of double dealing. Um, Hamilton was not a pure character either necessarily, but he. Uh, uh, he had been speaking publicly and privately, and I believe there was a specific dinner at that uh, some comments came through, so Burr wanted uh, him to apologize, and Hamilton said, I'm not saying anything that's not true, and uh, even though his son, Hamilton's son, had been killed in a duel uh, not many years before, uh, and both he and Burr had seconded, this is part of the musical too, had seconded another duel when they were younger, they were the seconds, and... Uh, um, in a case that involved, uh, I think it was George Washington being insulted. Uh, George Washington wasn't one of the parties to the duel. Uh, even with that, they went out there, and there's this long-running debate. The musical is part of it. The Cherno biography is whether Hamilton intended to shoot Burr or not, and whether Burr was reacting uh, with intent or thought he was about to be shot and, and fired directly, but uh, <laughs> uh, never quite known. And we're talking about it 200-plus years later. It's amazing. <laughs> I, the the takeaway
0: i took from school when i learned about it was that it in and, and you know and again who knows how accurate it is but it's it, it seems as though like most of the founding fathers were were genuine statesmen and then a couple of them were <laughs> were real
1: hotheads oh yeah yeah well and they were all. I just. I just watched the musical Seventeen Seventy Six with my kids. My kids are all head up about Hamilton now, and you know we're on the other coast and tickets are a fortune. So we will hopefully see it when it tours, uh, you know, in a touring company to Seattle. We'll probably be a B company in like four years <laughs> or three years, and we'll we'll go pay too much to see it here. Uh, but so I'm like, hey, look, there is a musical about the founding fathers. Like really, really, let's watch Seventeen Seventy Six. So we, we did that. I'd I'd watched it for the incomparable. We did an old movie club a couple uh, years ago, and watched it then. So I rewatched it with them. They love. Loved it. It's all sort of focused on John Adams primarily, also Jefferson and Franklin, and uh, that I always, whenever I see these things, I'm like, oh yeah, I could go read some more stuff about Adams. Um, they were really interesting people. They had rich lives. Uh, they they were involved in all kinds of stuff, and uh, they weren't. They, you know, they were all people who had their own lives. And Congress was another thing. Um, wasn't there wasn't you know it was one period in their life. The Continental Congress, particularly, but. Uh, I don't know, it's a fascinating, I mean, you know, Franklin, of course, is the fascinating way. He lived a long life and uh, liked sex workers and mistresses and all kinds of people and lived in France and came back and anyway, it's a great, they're a great bunch. <laughs> that, that's the musical. John Adams, apparently late in life, wrote about how he, he was obnoxious and disliked and late in life, he lived quite a long time. He and Jefferson died on the same day. They were bitter enemies and they died many miles apart on the same day, which is one of those little... And the day was July 4th. Yes, that's right. I forgot you're right. That's <laughs> so wild. But uh, Adams criticized his own personality late in life, and the musical takes it up. There's this recurring line, you're obnoxious and disliked. We know <laughs> that, sir. And, uh, but apparently Adams was actually quite well-liked, and he was viewing himself too harshly late in life, so he wasn't as obnoxious as the musical. We go. Uh,
0: also brings to mind from a
1: comment you had a couple minutes ago, at the Dylan
0: song from The Traveling Wilburys. Uh, mm. In Jersey, everything's legal as long as you don't get caught.
1: See, Hamilton is great. It actually pulls from musical theater, modern musical, uh, rap and hip hop. Uh, I heard like echoes of poems where uh, like all of you, there's a, if you go to Genius, they annotate it and people have found it's not a pastiche, but he pulls so Lin-Manuel Miranda is excellent uh, in terms of taking your ear and letting you hear an echo of something. If you're tuned in, if you're not, it sounds good. But if you're a big hip-hop fan, you will hear, uh, you know, rhythms, patterns, lines, uh, the kind of characterization. If you're a musical theater fan like I am, you hear all kinds of things throughout. You're like, wait, ooh, uh, you know, there's that reference to 1776. There's a reference to uh, South Pacific. There's Rodgers and Hammerstein and Sondheim references throughout. Sondheim loves it, apparently, which is great. He there loves to go. play. Um, it's funny we're talking about the 1700s, but it's not, right? 1800s right. because so is Apple and the FBI. This is what's cracking me up. Like, right. what is the deal that this musical is sweeping the nation? And then suddenly FBI is like, well, the All-Rits Act hasn't been modified for 250 years. But anyway. It's just the
0: way it always works out. You know, these things, these things happen. It's, it's Scalia dies
1: in the middle of this. It's all, all.
0: Right. Serendipity is a real, it's like almost like a force
1: it is pretty
0: amazing um now the details of it though it's kind of interesting we'll get into it again but uh, so last week the federal government filed a, their final brief um which apple initially took um i think it's fair to say took umbrage <laughs> to um, yes. to several of the angles that the government took in it um i thought this was interesting because i was invited uh to the to the conference calls that reporters were on both last week and this week, um, and it was a real interesting difference. Like last week, and they do them very fast, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's obviously. And I I enjoy thinking about this strategically um, because I don't work fast, <laughs> right? <laughs> Daring fireball is not a a source of breaking news. Uh, the talk shows certainly is not a, a source of breaking news. I tend to I I tend to take my time and not, not because I want to, but because I have to, I, my brain just doesn't work quickly. Uh, but it's fascinating to me to look at the, the meta angle on it, which is that when these briefs drop, uh, Apple reacts very quickly. So last week's call, I think that it was on Friday. Maybe it was Thursday, Thursday or Friday last week when the government put their mm-hmm. brief out and Apple held the call with the, um, Reporters, um, an hour later. So, I I certainly hadn't gotten through the brief. I guess Apple had, you know, the you know Apple's attorneys had the full hour before they started the call. Wow. Um, and it's I guess that the strategy there is that they know that once the brief is out, the news media is some of them in the news media are going to you know start writing takes, and Apple wants to spin get their spin on it out as quickly as possible. Otherwise it's too late that they have to have, you know, if they have to do something press relations wise quickly. Um, but I thought the difference between their, 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 what would you call it? A hot take last week. And this week (laughs) is so different. Like it's, I detect a very cool confidence in their current argument. But anyway, one of the things the government put in their brief last week was a reference to, um, and this is again. This is back to what's the year? 1807. Chief Justice Marshall, that the government claims once ordered a third party to quote provide decryption services.
1: I, I've I went and read the, the original transcripts of that trial. By the way,
0: okay, that's I cannot. I did not. So I want to hear about it. But that the government said that uh, here is some precedent for for compelling somebody to. Decrypt something that we can't de- decrypt is that Chief Justice Marshall had Aaron Burr's secretary decrypt a ciphered note, and Apple, in its response, uh, was it yesterday or was it Monday?
1: Monday. Uh, but yeah, Monday. No, yeah. Uh, mon- no, yes.
0: Uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday? Tuesday, right. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> it's all a blur. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all a blur. Um. um uh says that uh, they got the government got it wrong, that Marshall did nothing of the sort, and that the All-Writs Act had nothing to do, uh, was not even an issue in Burr. And what actually happened, according to Apple's brief, is that Aaron Burr's secretary declined to state whether he, quote, understood the contents of a certain letter written in cipher on the ground that he might incriminate himself. So in other words, he was invoking the Fifth Amendment to decline to say whether he understood a ciphered message. And what the court decided was that he could answer that because simply answering whether he understood the cipher would not incriminate him.
1: Right. That's exactly right. Which is
0: fascinating if you're, you know, sort of a, uh, you know, like a, a, like I am, just sort of like a broad strokes, like interested in civil liberties and these in cases like this, like edge cases around the Fifth Amendment can be fascinating, and that's an interesting one. And here's, you know, and it's again what over two hundred years ago.
1: It's a sophisticated question. Yeah, I mean, this is what's. <clears throat> I love living in 2016 and being able to pull up instantly transcripts of trials that happened over 200 years ago. Yeah. but the is, court
0: anyway. The bottom line: this is from Apple's brief in a footnote. Mm-hmm. The court did not require the clerk to decipher
1: the letter. That's correct. That's right. correct. It was. It was. Uh, it was the. Uh, there were two questions being put. <clears throat> One was, "Do you understand the cipher of that paper?" Did the paper come from Colonel Burr? Was it written by him or by his direction? The last question. This is what I'm reading it. Last question ought to have been first stated. The witness does not say why the answer to the question will have the tendency to criminate him, uh, and so it goes back and forth because the judge ultimately the issue is if uh, right he didn't have to decipher it. They're asking him if he knew the contents of the letter, not to provide the cipher key, and in fact just to be. Pedantic here. It was both a code and a cipher. They had a code book, actually two, that uh, they Wilkinson and Burr and others have been using. Uh, well, the first one since the 1790s, uh, I think. And then the later one they'd modified that had codes for like president, and vice president, in France, and so forth. And then there was also a simple replacement cipher that used a rotating letter scheme. So you'd have a, a letters at the top like Cuba or France. Particularly, you'd take the letters, following them down, assign them numbers, and then you could you read across the row to pick the numbers corresponding. So, um, you know, complicated for the day uh, because you could work out simple substitution ciphers are relatively easy to work out. Easier with computers, but definitely doable uh, in the day, and um, thus not that protected. But codes are very difficult. So, without knowledge of the code, uh, you can determine it from frequency of appearance and other characteristics. You can sometimes retrieve those. But he wasn't asked, do you know the cipher? It was, uh, do you, or it uh, it wasn't wasn't for the cipher. He was asked, do you know what it said? Do you understand the contents? And he was concerned that uh, any statement would allow him to, uh, would provide it, would put him in a position of incrimination. Right. Fascinating. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But I have to say, it sounds to me like Apple is exactly right, that it's no precedent whatsoever for compelling uh, somebody to decode and encrypted pretty
1: pretty clearly, pretty clearly.
0: Anyway. Well, so one of the interesting side effects of all this and, and of invoking things like these, this this Burr case is this. I did not know that the founding fathers took were so commonly in use of codes and ciphers and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And apparently one of the things I read was like the first uh, postmaster general was like a political enemy of uh, a couple of them. I forget which one I forget, you know, there's the, the way that they're political, Things are. I, I get it mixed up. But long story short, that they they, they really felt, uh, some of them really felt like they needed to because they knew that this postmaster general was reading their mail.
1: Oh, yeah. That was a, con- right. Mail was often open. It's an interesting thing that our current mail system, and I've forgotten how far back the law goes, it might be the 18th and 19th century, uh, that it's illegal for any party to open the mail, like including the post office, except with like specific warrant or Um, subpoena. Uh, Another Hamilton musical reference, by the way, is Hercules Mulligan, best name in the world. He was transporting messages. He was not a loyalist, but he was sort of a spy going uh, back and forth to New York. He was a a textile importer, ran a clothing shop was a tailor. And he and his uh, slave, whose name was Cato, uh, were sending messages back and forth, often in uh, code or um, in other, you know, trying to (laughs) hide the meaning of it eventually became too dangerous. But he's one of the reasons that they were able to... uh, to uh, Hamilton was able to assist General Washington in uh, some of the battles around Manhattan. It's amazing. It is an amazing name,
0: Hercules Mulligan.
1: Hercules Mulligan. It's awesome. It's a great part in the in the play. But yeah, code, I mean, code's been an important part. I think I forget what the earliest cryptographic stuff is. There's the there's a the thing of wrapping. Uh, a strip of paper around a cylinder of a certain dimension, like a pencil-sized thing that was used, so you could write across it and then unfurl it. Unless you knew the dimensions, you wouldn't be able to figure it out. Well, oh, obvious. yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, one of the earliest uses of, uh, of crypto and simple cipher substitution if you don't know what it is. And, you know It's only become more complicated over time. But code has a uh, – code and interception of code and um, uh, people being uh, executed for possession of what was seen as code that was never deciphered. All big issues. For yeah. many, for thousands of years.
0: When I was a kid, I, I got I spent a couple. I mean, it's been a long time. I was truly, like, you know, like grade school age. But I spent like, you know, at one point, one of my obsessions became codes and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, I very, I specifically remember that one where you wrap the paper around like a ruler type thing of a certain known width, and um, and then when you unwrap it, it just looks like gibberish. And again, yeah. like you said, that's not the most secure <laughs> thing. Nobody else
1: knows it, though. Right. If you don't have sophistication on the other right. side, it's uh, people are like, why does someone write gibberish? Uh,
0: I, I have a very vivid memory. I, I, I'm almost certain I was in first grade, but it was certainly like first or second, uh, that Kellogg's had a a campaign and that three or four of their like flagship uh, kitty serials had little... Um, Little plastic things in them. So, like the toucan Sam one might be blue, and uh, the the frosted flakes Tony the Tiger one was yellow, and maybe the sugar smacks one was red. You know, with the Ribbit Rabbit or whatever his name was, Mm -hmm. or Ribbit the Frog. You know what I mean? Uh, But there'd be so there'd be different colors, and then you would they were all just a different uh, like twenty six character cipher. You know, where it would just be a different rotation you know sort of like rot it was like a rot 13 but you know tony the tigers was rot 17 and and the frog one was rot 11 or something like that but i was fascinated like a as a first grader i felt pretty clever that i figured out the differences between them um but then it was cool because then we it was it it, like with friends at school we could send coded messages to each other and it took so long spend you know spinning the disc it would just be like (laughs)
1: <laughs> then ultimately, drink your Ovaltine. And- yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> God damn it! Like uh, I found, it's called the skrit- Skritali. Is the uh, Greek uh, rod that was used for encryption with substitution cipher? I knew there is something. That's not the earliest. The Egyptians were uh, maybe a thousand years before. For that, um, there's also a famous story of uh, the word shibboleth. You know, is a great story. Mm-hmm. It's not about code per se, but it's spies in a, in a camp. Uh, Semite camp and um, the leader says, uh, say you now Shibboleth and the spies were unable to pronounce the sh sound and they said Sibboleth and were put to death. So a Shibboleth is like that passphrase, like a thing you say Mm. to be shown that you're a member of a tribe, always like that. Mm. These divisions go back thousands of years So from probably the origin of being able to put words on paper. People were figuring out ways to make other people not be able to read those. Right.
0: Well, to communicate at length, Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you could always communicate in private. Well, I mean, I mean obviously you could if your room is bugged or whatever. There's there's ways around. But if you're, Wait, you se- if you're reasonably yeah. secure that your room is the room you're in is not being bugged, you can have a private conversation with somebody. The the trick is how do you have a private conversation with somebody at a distance? And it's like you said, it's long as we've been communicating at a distance, even if it's like just be you know by sending dispatching a messenger, there there've been codes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're saying there might be warrant-proof spaces, is uh, Uh, exactly (laughs) possibly in our minds. My grandparents, uh, my family was uh, furniture, ran furniture stores for many, many years, and my grandfather developed a code, a number code, ten-letter code based on our last name and his mother's initial, so they could put the retail or the wholesale price of things on the tags without customers knowing. So when they negotiated, they knew exactly how low they could go.
0: Ha! See,
1: clever fellow, my grandpa.
0: Very, very clever. Boy, that's the type of thing that nowadays uh, uh, people, you know, it's eventually some c- c- consumer website would come out with the uh, – Oh, yeah. Yeah, go into this mattress store and here's how you decode
1: it. <laughs> exactly. You know, how <laughs> right. low they can go. Yeah.
0: All right. Let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Casper. You guys know Casper. They sell mattresses online, obsessively engineered mattresses at shockingly fair prices. Um uh, Here's one of the. Here's my favorite thing about uh, Casper mattresses. They don't make you choose between like two, three, four, five, six, seven different types of mattresses or the technologies in them. No, they figured it out for you. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. They've taken two commonly used mattress technologies, latex foam and memory foam, and they've made their own custom cocktail between the two for better nights and better days, good sleep. So all you do is pick what size you want. So, you know what size bed you have. So, you just go there, you need a new mattress, get the right size. Um, and as crazy as it sounds, I know I've said this every time they sponsor this show, it sounds crazy to buy a mattress without like trying it out. But what kind of a tryout do you actually get in a retail store anyway? It's actually kind of gross because other people have slept on it. Right. And just like being there with all of your clothes on and laying on a bed for two or three minutes isn't going to tell you how you sleep on it. So, actually, the way that Casper does it, if you think about it, it's a traditional, but it makes a lot more sense. They have a risk-free trial and return policy. You try sleeping on a Casper for a hundred days, and if you don't like it, up to a hundred days, they'll you just call them up, uh, go to the website, and they'll take care of free. They'll just take it right back. No, no questions asked. Uh, I've even heard from a listener of the show sent me an email and said that. Uh, that they did it and that they bought it because it was on the show. And it was like, for whatever reason, wasn't, wasn't to their liking. And it, and, and, uh, said, and it it just wanted to say, I know you keep saying that they take them back, but it literally was as easy as could possibly be to take a mattress back. Um, here's the, some of their prices. It retail, you go retail for mattresses. You're probably going to pay like $1,500 or more for a premium mattress. Casper's start at 500 for a twin uh 750 for full, 850 for queen, and just 950 bucks for a king size mattress. So you just can't lose. Here's where you go for more information. Go to Casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com, com slash the talk show. And use that code the the talk show and you'll save 50 bucks off. They're already excellent prices. Free shipping to you, free shipping back if you want to send it back. Uh, and great prices. Casper.com slash the talk show. Uh, so I guess we should talk in detail about the, the Apple FBI case. Yeah, you're going to jump in, And then we can that. speculate. Because I feel like this is the one thing. This is the thing. I mean, we can talk about next week's event and what our last minute speculation is or whatever. But that's, it, it, you know, it's interesting, but it's of the moment. Whereas the this F, Apple FBI thing is is truly, I, I don't think it's hyperbole. I think it's genuinely important to the future of the republic.
1: I am absolutely with you. I think it's actually one of the most fundamental issues of privacy we could possibly be facing now, and we have the best advocate on our side. Uh, and the government is and uh, extremely disappointed the Obama administration's stance. I feel like we're we're being sold out because um, Rich Mogul has this line. I talked to him about it. He says it's not on my watch. Is, hmm. the, is what is driving it. He says he's worked with law enforcement a lot. He's a lot of good takes on this subject. And he said, nobody wants to be the guy when the t- event happens and you could have done something else and you didn't do everything. So the FBI is doing this scorched earth policy to break apart this thing. They try to find a test case because... James Comey and a few other people are saying this is not going to be the thing where we lose not I am not going to be the person responsible for the next terrorist event, so I'm going to do everything even if potentially it threatens liberty that's not my concern. My concern is preventing this attack, and I think it's true too. I think they're being such bulldogs about it uh it but I, I agree with you I think this is a it's a th- that you've you've been writing about this and I think in a wonderful way the warrant proof spaces is a big Issue and Comey said that, uh, and then Jonathan uh, Zdziarski has been writing about this too. He just wrote recently about how there are many warrant-proof spaces in America. American law and the Constitution, uh, state laws carve out lots of places in which warrants aren't allowed. Great post. Um, but uh, are we allowed only the privacy of our own mind? What uh, here's the thing? You know, you and I are talking about this on Twitter. Is there's all these natural extensions? Should ISPs preserve every email you ever sent? Like, can we right. delete email permanently? Um, what if there were brain scanners? What if brain scans existed tomorrow? There's technology right. that's starting to be able to pull images out of people's heads.
0: Right? Would is you, that
1: I mean, would is they that be allowed,
0: Would they be allowed to use that on a suspect in custody? Like, if yeah, you're it's not arrested? science fiction.
1: Right. Yeah, it's not science fiction. We're seeing. I mean, people are showing they're actually like having some glimmerings of this where it's real. It's something that's not telepathy. It's science in a lab. That they can show. And so, right. holy cow! You know, this isn't impractical theoretical. Right? Theory. Could they
0: compel a a criminal suspect uh, to To have like a brain scan and ask them questions sort of like a like where today it's a lie detector test but just imagine like what is the passcode to your phone what's the passcode to your phone and if they read a number out of the guy's head and try it and it works (laughs) is that admit no but i mean exactly it's not i don't think that that's i know they i don't think they can do that today to my knowledge there's no such device today but that does not seem like it's unreasonable even within the scope of your and my lifetimes i mean in terms of absolutely not the way that 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 we're starting to understand the brain, and I've said this before. I said this on the show, and I really, to me, it really, it's interesting. What if, what if the some future computing device that provides capabilities like what we use today with an iPhone? What if it's embedded in your body? What if it's something that you place in your wrist? What if it's something you do put in your head? Right. Right. What? What if it's and again, I, I I'm not an expert on Alzheimer's, and I know that there are some some biological you know uh, solutions or, or improvements to to Alzheimer's research going on. But what if you know somebody ten, fifteen, twenty years from now invents some kind of very small system on a chip that can be embedded in somebody's brain um, to help with the 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 cognitive the, the decline and the dementia that's caused by Alzheimer's. It, it would that device therefore you know then be susceptible to um the government reading the contents of it uh, and to me you know it it's not uh, preposterous to to pose hypotheticals like that and my answer would be no you know that it's it's no different than there's not that much difference and it's going to be less as time goes on between artificial digital devices and our capability of reading the you know the the mechan- You know, treating our brains as the mechanical devices they are at a certain level.
1: It's it's also I think the warrant proof space is a great metaphor because in fact every place we have in in our brains and in reality that we own are all warrant proof spaces until a warrant is produced. And I think there's this interesting thing where the view of the FBI, as they've expressed at the Department of Justice, is that all spaces are open to the government on demand, and that is simply not. I mean it is, it's both true and not true. People can also express civil disobedience and be jailed for contempt or for violating court orders or other charges. They can go to jail for refusing. You have a lot of people who have uh, nobly in the past, um, sometimes innobly, <laughs> uh, uh, gone to jail rather than give up information or, or access or locations of things. Um, I think by default we should assume that all places are private. Uh, I think this notion, I think Zajarski wrote about this also, is that um, the Bill of Rights is not a instructions on what the government government can do. It's instructions on what citizens' uh, rights are, and it it prescribes the government from doing so much. So it's not a plan to use to circumvent rights. It's a giant wall to prohibit the government from excess. And so the idea that every space we own is really owned by the government is terrifying. I mean, that's really, you know, it's a very much a conservative and far-right view that the government, uh, you know, any Democrat elected government uh, would be... uh, Uh, have that in place. So the government owns all spaces. So they're playing into the hands at some point of that. And I think people uh, who are on the left end of the spectrum would say uh, also that even if they believe in a bigger role for government or a different nature of government regulation and control, that the government having sort of a de facto right to all of our private spaces, our homes, our computers, and, you know, by extension, our minds, that that also is not in keeping with the nature of what, you know, uh, civil human rights are and are it would be in the nature of our country. So, um, I mean, you come down to this, it's like what percentage of iPhones are used for crime? You know, it's 0.00 whatever percent. And the idea that all iPhones have to be open to inspection at any time, like bags going through a, an x-ray machine or the TSA with their locks that have now been duplicated because they allowed photos to be taken of the master, <laughs> master right. keys, like that's what the FBI is proposing is we'll have a way for, you know, the TSA-style Investigators to get in, which means everyone can get in,
0: right? And there's a um, the part that to me is the most disappointing, single most disappointing in 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 the Obama administration. And you know, I'll just admit it. And, and Hillary Clinton has espoused the same opinion: is a yeah. belief in this magical thinking that if we just put smart enough people into a room together, that they can come up with a way that that this would this backdoor solution would only be available to law enforcement. That we're not asking you to make a back door that anybody could get into. We just want a back door that law enforcement can get into when we have a warrant. Which sounds reasonable, and in some you know a fictional other universe where that's mathematically possible, that might be great. I actually I, I think that there's good reasons why a civil libertarian would be opposed even to that. I, yeah. I, like yeah. like let me just put this out there that and and I tend to lean that way. I would listen to the argument, but I tend to lean towards even if that were possible. I don't think it's a good idea. And I think it's contrary to the values that are already in our Bill of Rights. But it is an idea. But the simple truth is that it's math. All experts agree. Everybody who understands encryption. I mean, this is it. I, I don't think that you, it, it, it's more than even like, uh, 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 I mean, it's, it's, like provably incorrect. You know, like as opposed to let's say climate change where you can say you can argue that only 98 or 99% of of expert climate scientists agree that the, you know, what we're seeing is man-made. I mean with with cryptography and backdoors, it's 100% agreement because of Boy, back- you're,
1: you're totally right. I just realized I haven't seen any um any crypto deniers out there no. saying this is possible. I've only seen politicians and uh right. law enforcement.
0: Right. It's that's a, fascinating.
1: Well, that's part
0: of the beauty. I'm trying to convince Math. my 12 year old son of it. I'm trying to convince when I talk to my 12 year old son, who does not have the enthusiasm for mathematics that I did, that that's the beauty of mathematics. It's, it's, it, you know, and and in, in the way that computer science sort of falls out of mathematics. I could go on a long rant here. Like when I went to Drexel <laughs> and got my degree in computer science, it was from the Department of um, Math and computer science it was one department for mathematics and computer awesome. science, and it well they've <laughs> since broken it out and now computer science is often uh i don't know what they did, but
1: it's an expensive new building probably <laughs> yeah i I
0: think that well, I think that what happened is that politically the computer science department grew to you know it used to be like it was the math department with a little kooky computer science. Uh, group of professors and then computer science got so popular and so important to our society that it grew off but anyway I just thought and it's not just because I went to Drexel where they p- put them together it just made sense to me though that when you type a computer program and it either works or doesn't work it's it, it, there's a certain beauty to that and I think a lot of the people who listen to the show are probably nodding their heads like that's why, why they got into this racket because yeah. there's
1: statistics, a statistics just oops, sorry, statistics lie math doesn't right
0: correct and it's you know it's just disappointing to me that they keep you know pushing back on that there was a there's a line that apple's attorneys used it was in the sort of off the record um um you can paraphrase you know the rules were from the call that you can paraphrase it not quote it directly but the gist of it was that um that they talk to u.s law enforcement frequently and they are happy to do so and happy to work with the government and that they are, of course, you know, opposed to um, terrorism and crime and and all this stuff and that they are also happy to, you know, willing and happy to comply with warrants and provide information that they have. Um, But that every time they meet with law enforcement about this issue, law enforcement, U.S. law enforcement comes at the discussion with the angle of, how can you let us into the iPhone, and mm-hmm. never wants to discuss the question of should we be able to get into the iPhone? It's just not it, it. They're intransigent intransigent on the point of how do we get into the iPhone.
1: Oh, here, let me give you a good thought experiment because I think there's this issue where people. Um, I want to say that I keep stating on the MacWorld podcast and everywhere. I keep saying, look, I. Absolutely support the right of a legal warrant. I don't like extrajudicial stuff. I don't like the FISA court. I don't like extra constitutional things, illegal rendition, all that stuff. I like the legality, the constitutionally created warrants, right? And I think the FBI should be seeking every available, reasonable means, and sometimes even almost unreasonable, with a court holding them in check so they don't violate the Constitution. Totally support that. I am absolutely a. I want to trust the government. The government isn't always trustworthy, but I believe it's the best system we have to ensure justice. We need to improve the quality of justice as opposed to constraining them from being able to use tools that are legal and, and courts oversee in a public way that is fair and whatever. So here's a thought experiment. I was reading a paper, uh, academic paper a year or so ago. Uh, you know that cameras and cell phones <clears throat> and uh, DSLRs are so good now that they can extract a face. From the reflection in an object in the, pi- the subject. So you're taking a picture, you're behind the camera, a reflection, even minute in anything you're taking a picture of, can be reconstructed to provide a decent facial mesh against you. And this is today, right? Well, this is a couple right. of years ago, actually. So when we have 20 megapixel or 50 megapixel or photographic, uh, computational photographic equipment in everything, our iPhones will have seven cameras on them, whatever, Right. So here's the picture here's the the scenario, and this is where I think we would agree on, but let's find out, is that FBI or law enforcement says, ah, we know there were several people in the vicinity of this um event and they were taking pictures. We believe we could recover the face from a reflection of the actual criminal and they subpoena the phones or they, you know, they demand them, they want to abuse them as evidence. In my view, I think that's totally legitimate. Now, now, could those people be compelled under All Ritz Act to provide it? Maybe not. Maybe they would say yes. Maybe they'd say no. That request to want those photos and people handing over those photos thinking they were legally obliged to to aid in this, that seems reasonable to me where the line would be crossed as if, like in this case, they said, oh, we need to use the All Writs Act to break the encryption because some of the witnesses refuse to turn over their phones where we think there's a picture of the killer in that scene. Hmm. What do you think? No, I, I agree. Mean,
0: it's, you know, that's exactly what a warrant is I in my opinion you know you, you can you you ask for permission to search whatever a room a house a, a, a filing cabinet a, a digital device and what they can get off it they can get off it but if all they get off it is uh uh it strongly encrypted jumble of ones and zeros that's tough
1: yeah I mean, that's – and I – yeah, so that's that's the thing. I mean, this is a different – it's a sort of parallel case, you know, right. where it's – but I think we're going to see – I think based on this, we're going to see a lot more use of the All Writs Act, and I think they're going to be like that, and I think a lot of citizens or small companies or even bigger companies are going to feel compelled to do it, uh, to obey, and I think the precedent set here will affect things like that. There will be – you know what it is, is I think there's going to be a massively increasing number of cases in which – People who are innocent bystanders standards will mm. have evidence that will be useful because of digital data collection—audio or video, images, or anything else. But
0: that's also a very different thing than compelling <clears throat> innocent bystanders to take action, to say, right. to to, for example, say this. You know, we have reason to believe that uh, you know some sort of crime is going to be committed in this area. Therefore, we, you know. Uh, and I'm telling you, this is exactly the path that this sort of precedent mm-hmm. can go down. We want the right to turn on the c- camera and recording of every oh, every iPhone, oh. it, you know, in range of this cell tower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Panopticon OS, right? Uh, and only you know here we you know it's we're not saying everywhere you know anywhere and everywhere. We're saying right here in the vicinity right. of yeah. you know whatever street and whatever street in whatever city. Um but we have good reason for it, and therefore we, should, you know, we, we require the ability to do this.
1: That is very much within the realm of what people would ask. I mean, look, that's already happening with cars. We know that uh, law enforcement wants to get information out of cars. Look, I was talking to car makers last year about um, you know car robots, self-driving cars, and um, the deal is, like this is the thing I keep coming back to, what we are seeing today is the tip of the iceberg of data collection, both us watching the watchman, and the watchman watching us. And it seems like it's already ridiculous, right? In the future, our clothing is going to be covered with cameras. I mean, right. I'm exaggerating, but like everything, cars are going to be festooned. The, one of the limitations, there's a point at which you can have too many cameras on a car, you're collecting too much information. That point has not been hit yet. No. I think if the, in, because of computational photography where you can combine images from many cameras or different kinds of imagery from cameras to obtain more information. Like, you know, we talk about 3D cameras on cars, they're really 2D stereoscopic cameras they are RGB plus depth and it uses infrared or laser for ranging that kind of information. You can also obtain in some cases, if you have more cameras, so you don't need the ranging part because all these things that are going to happen. So at some point our camera, our yeah, cars you are can triangulate
0: it. the three dimensional aspects of it from the two different angles.
1: Yeah, and I've seen some really, some really interesting papers. So at some point, we are gonna, our phones are gonna be recording a hundred percent of the time. We're gonna be having wearable devices, if they're watch or whatever, watches or whatever, they're constantly ready and on recording video and audio unless we disable them. And everything is gonna be constantly recording and streaming terabytes of data that's actually gonna be processed to pull out information. So we are going into a future in which what you're describing is reality. There could be a continuous 3D like coverage in any area of any minimal population density between nest cam style things and our phones and watches and cars so what if the government wants to compel that we need like 10 minutes in an hour hit this yeah. button and every cameras records that for the next uh, 10 minutes and they get you know a terabyte of information or a petabyte from that
0: yeah um can skip over you know skipping around a little bit but i think it applies but one of the highlights <laughs> i have in apple's brief yeah. yesterday was from um uh, talking about this kalia law c a l e a
1: yeah and, that was really fascinating, and the
0: government is sort of arguing that kalia doesn't apply to Apple in this case, and Apple is arguing, <laughs> yes, it exactly applies to us yes it's, it's and one of them here 's the passage I highlighted. Kalia's legislative history makes clear the sound policy reasons behind its specific limitations on when decryption services can be required. During congressional hearings on Kalia, then FBI Director Louis Free assured Senator oh, yeah. Leahy, that's Pat Leahy from uh, Vermont, that Kalia yeah. would not impede the growth of new technologies. When Senator Leahy asked whether Kalia would inhibit the growth of encryption, uh, Free responded, Quote, this legislation does not ask companies to decrypt. It just tells them to give us the bits as they have them. If they are encrypted, that is my problem. Which is what I'm saying is that, yes, I think that the FBI should have the rights to get the contents of this suspect's phone. But if the su- contents of the phone are scrambled and, and the FBI is technically incapable of you know decrypting them, that's their problem. And I, I, I don't say that to be callous. I you know in terms of wow what if in some other hypothetical case the information would actually prove useful to to getting a conviction of someone who actually did something or what if it was it some sort of information on a phone that they can't access would have information that could prevent something in the future I mean those things will happen but it it it, it there is no perfect solution
1: Oh yeah I want to zoom, circle back about this too is um, when we talk about the political spectrum it applies directly here too is that it's hilarious to see people all the way from this on the spectrum, from say anarchist to um, you know right wing fundamentalist. Yep who are all like absolute libertarian. I, um, I love that aspect of and, this. But the cryptographer, because the cryptographic community has people across a larger political spectrum than I think almost who are prominent in it, let's say, than almost any other field of endeavor I can imagine. So you've got Whitfield Diffie, you've got Moxie uh, uh, Marlinspike, uh, uh, you've got uh, David, uh, uh, or what's his face, uh, Robert um, uh, from Arata, Graham from Eratos uh, Security. Uh, you've got people across... Um, huge spectrum, right? And some people have come from dictatorship-based uh, societies and escaped them. Some are living in societies that are becoming repressive. Some are in democracies or ostensible democracies. And they're all like, yeah, okay. You know I mean, there's different reasons to argue about this. Some people may or may not be in favor of a backdoor. None of them disagree over what you're saying. There is no way to create that. And so if you're an anarchist or a, you know, raging libertarian, you've got the same view like, nah, can't be, can't be done.
0: I really enjoy. I keep I'm pondering it over my head. Rich Mogul's description of it—that it's sort of a cover your ass mentality—or like you, he's, you're saying his words, are not on my watch, but it's cover yeah. cover your own ass. Because that's yeah, the only that way. Makes it, sense. It's the only way it really makes sense. And it's yeah. it's very disappointing though because it's it, it, the implications are so severe. I have a feeling, and again, I could be wrong, and that's why it's it's nervous watching this go down. I have a feeling that Apple might do well in this I think Apple I I think they should it's not just because I'm hoping in that i my personal preference is that Apple wins this case i actually think that on the facts and based on the the law i feel like that they should win
1: well there's if they it's so bizarre it's like There's so many different bases, and this brief spells out a lot of them, Um, why what the FBI and Department of Justice are requesting is unprecedented or a misreading. And, you know, I've been following this closely. I've read this brief and some others in depth. This one I read very much in depth because it's, you know, kind of one of the crux right now. And because the FBI went into sort of name calling, DOJ is yeah. saying things that are just kind of, it's like, it feels like watching someone spin out of control. You're like, look, we need an intervention here. And Obama is not your interventionist. Apparently he's like, he's like being your, your codependent enabler here. Yeah. Uh, but you read this and you're like, look, the all Ritz Act has never encompassed this. And there's plenty of evidence. Like, and what they're studying is species, the Kalia, the legislative history, the previous, whatever. Then you have like basically every... Person who used to be an intelligence or law enforcement who was at a high level, who's no longer in that office, saying, Yeah, like, well, what would you have done when you're in office? Well, I might have supported Comey because I had to. Like, well, what about now? Like, no, 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 no. I mean, the, the interview is with uh, Richard Clark, yeah. with uh, Michael Hayden, with, you know, and like Clark's NPR interview is astonishing what yeah. he said. He's like, just call the NSA. We could, they could do it, right? Well, that that's interesting to me. Now, number one,
0: I've found that post 9 11, Richard Clark was fine, one of the most thoughtful and a, a truly impressive individuals, you know, in the U S government. In terms I, of, Yeah, I agree. Very sane, I, I, I've I agree. been a huge fan of his, I, I can't even think of a single point that I've ever really disagreed with him on. Like it really, and he's, you know, opened my mind to all sorts of things that I had never thought of. Like he's exactly the sort of person who I would want to be the, you know, who he was and, <laughs> and who I wish we had more of in national security positions. Yeah. Um, So when I say I my gut feeling would be that if the the FBI gave this phone to the NSA, I bet the NSA could could crack this phone and knows some, you know, knows a way to get in. Uh, But that's just based on, you know, me, my hunch as to what I think the NSA can do pretty much completely uninformed, but just sort of, you know. It just seems to make sense to me. When Richard Clark says, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that if you gave this phone to the NSA, they could get in. It's like, uh, go to the cashier and put your money on, uh, on that horse.
1: Oh yeah, well, yeah. Anything I think anything that Apple could do to their own operating system, the NSA could do. Plus, the NSA can disassemble it to like a submolecular level. Right. That. Now, I mean, they're not magicians, right. but they're you know they have the best people who are not working in cryptography in public and private enterprise. I mean, I should say private enterprise rather, and in public sector open jobs. They're working at the NSA. I mean, this is the thing. Like you, I I don't love how our government is using the NSA and the FBI to gather information. I do respect that the people the FBI, CIA, and NSA are some, there's some people in there, uh, maybe many people based on some things we hear who are some of the smartest people on the planet. And they're going there because they're told, look, do you want to work with the most interesting thing? You can never talk about it, maybe like for decades or ever, but you're going to work with the most interesting cutting edge technology, ideas and hardware and theory that no one else in the world can work with you're going to go there. There are people who go there and they may have moral qualms about it or not, or they doesn't enter into it or they support the missions, but it is a, it's kind of an interesting poll, right? So right. I'm sure that, um, this, so I want to talk about employment issues just for a second too, cause this comes back to this Apple brief. So let's say Apple loses, uh, and is compelled.
0: All right. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Okay, I know where you're I going will. and it's too long of a segment. I want to do. I'm going
1: I'm to hold my breath. You go
0: yeah. ahead. <laughs> Let me just say this before I do the sponsor. I just want to go back. This is, oh, yeah. These are two quotes that Apple pulled out. You referenced them both, but this is in, uh, people who've come out, and it's almost to a surprising degree. And I'm impressed at, mm-hmm. at some of the people who've come out in favor of encryption on this. But one of them is former NSA and CIA director Michael Hayden. That's who Michael <laughs> Hayden is. <laughs> yes. His quote is Apple or America, I'm sorry, America is more secure, America is more safe with unbreakable end-to-end encryption that's a that's a, i mean you can't get more clear than that and here's um defense secretary ashton carter so that's it's crossing the line over to the department of defense data security including encryption is absolutely essential to us i'm not a believer in backdoors mm-hmm. and that and to me the the angle there is that it, it gets to that uh that um the rich mogul thing where where why is the Department of Justice doing this. And it's, it, it, it doesn't make any sense from a national security perspective. And that, I mean, that point blank is what the, these other guys are saying, is that from a national security perspective, uh, backdoors are a disaster. And, so, and Apple in their brief is saying it, that the government is saying you can't take that into consideration. And Apple in their brief is saying, I don't know about the legality of the argument of whether the court should take it into consideration, but Apple is certainly emphasizing that angle. All right, let's take a break and then we'll talk about that employment issue. Okay, uh, I am going to tell you about our good friends at Igloo. You guys know Igloo. We all struggle with productivity. We're constantly under pressure to accomplish more, uh, do it faster. And there's no one definitive way to accomplish that when you're on a small team or a small company or, or, or something like that. So we all have our own methods to make things work and we combine, you know, this sort of chat with this file sharing and other technologies igloo can help you and your team keep doing things your way only better collaboration should not be painful what igloo is pure and simple is an intranet that you'll actually like they have all sorts of ways to um customize it and get just the features that you and your team need to fill in the gaps in the system you already use but it's not like when you sign up for Igloo you have to suddenly drop everything you're already using and do things the quote Igloo way it's not like that at all Igloo is just a toolkit to let you and your team keep working the way that you already do just better Uh, you can sign up free of charge no credit card required at iglusoftwarecom slash TTS. So just go there. If you have a team and you're struggling in any way to collaborate, just go to igloosoftware.com slash TTS. Sign up for free. Check it out and see how good it could be. Um, so my thanks to Igloo. All right, let's talk about the employment issue now.
1: Yeah, so we were talking about this on Twitter because I had this horrible... Okay, so this gets into like... I feel like we're in Orwell territory yep. at all levels. Like... Okay, uh, Snow Crash. Did you ever read Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash? Um,
0: I'm embarrassed to say no. Uh,
1: As a programmer, you would love it. And it's sort of about hacking the brain, but one of the themes in it, without giving spoilers to like a 20-year-old book, is this notion that a company wanted to retain the ownership of programming code in their programmers' minds. So when they left, Mm -hmm. they couldn't use it elsewhere. I mean, that's... I'm paraphrasing. I had this thought. I'm reading this. So Apple loses this case. The court says it compels them to write what they're calling... You know gov g govt government g o v t o s. I'm picturing this meeting, Tim Cook in a room with like two hundred people. and it's everybody at Apple capable of working on this. And I says, all right, you know what's happened?" Uh, the order has been given. We are going to, we always, uh, you know, we, we're going to try to appeal it, but right now we haven't been able to stay. Um, we need you to do this. Um, and we can't order anyone to do it. We can, we've been ordered, uh, but you are all individuals and this needs to happen. Like what, what do those people do? What do those people do? And what does the court do if all 200 of them suddenly quit? And what does Tim do for those people if they suddenly quit? I mean, I just thinking you can't. You can order Apple to do something, but employees are at will. None of the executives can do this. They need specific employees and the engineering level. What what uh, happens?
0: I also wonder just how many engineers at Apple would be capable of doing this. Now, capable, yeah. you can obviously hire somebody new, and it provide them with the source code and let them study it and study the way the entire system works long enough. And somebody who's obviously not even employed by Apple today could eventually become capable of doing it. So it's, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I wonder how many people within Apple would be on the team that would be Commissioned to undertake this, I don't know that yeah. it's two hundred. I think it's probably a significantly lower number of people who work in the area of system level
1: device security. So, was it Daniel Jalca who used to work at Apple? I mean, years ago, worked yeah. at Apple. I think did he say something in response to this. Was it like he said there might be a hundred people in the world? Maybe I'm exaggerating the yeah. number. But something it's, like that's that. too lo- small, but it was. It's right. It's not that other people could. Uh, it's not that other people can't get up to speed, but in order to, then they'd have to hire other people. And it's not even an issue of morals. Like I have to wonder what is your career like inside Apple? If you're the gal or guy who says, yeah, sure. Whatever the government wants, like you do the government OS and it's delivered. And it's Tim say, thanks for helping us obey the court order. And you have no future with us. Could you be fired for, for being a good employee? Could you be put on in Siberia and sent to an Alaskan, uh, Outpost of Apple to work on projects there? I don't know. It's it, it's easy
0: to uh outside, you know, to just uh abstract it. Somebody within Apple could do it. Apple's got a lot of money and a lot of smart people they could do it. But at some level it come it will if it ever if this came to pass, it would come down to individuals.
1: And I think they'd have to make a decision. And and
0: for security purposes, it would be better to have it be as few people as possible. Um, I've often thought about this. I wonder what Apple's security policies are for hiring people to work on stuff like this. Like how do think about it. I mean, how do they make sure that a a secret agent for uh you know China isn't isn't applying to be a, an engineer on iOS who would place a backdoor? I mean it's and it sounds like it starts thinking it sounds like something out of a, you know, a James Bond movie or something like that, but stuff like that has happened, right? There've been back doors placed in, um, remember the open SSL one? Um,
1: Oh yeah. I, the Heartbleed uh, well, Heartbleed was that the, I, there's I, so many. And I, you know, I don't
0: even want to just blame China. I think that there's a strong suspicion that it was the U S government who, who, uh, it surreptitiously placed a backdoor in, in like an SSL library. That was
1: you know, Oh yeah, there's yeah, and there's some purposely what seems to be purposely weakened encryption that uh NIST uh seem to have some interaction right. with in uh, some VPN uh software libraries. Um No, it's not implausible. I mean, this is the thing. Like what really drives the world is not spy craft in the terms of uh, state run espionage. It's um Industrial espionage is a huge thing. It's huge. It happens continuously. Uh this is not like a movie thing. It's there are people working inside companies constantly selling secrets to competitors and what because do you, they can get money you, from them.
0: What do you do when somebody uh, a very talented programmer yeah. with a security background who without lying about their <laughs> employing <laughs> history at all, but has spent, you know, like eight years working for the NSA, applies to work on a security job at, at Apple. <laughs> you laugh,
1: but if <laughs> they're no. being if they're being honest, it could be a tremendous hire. And Wait, did I tell you this story already? I once met guys from the CIA print shop and they said, "We gave them business cards and they said, "We have business cards, we can't give them to you." And we said, "You're serious." They said, "Yeah, we can only hand them out inside the building." So I'm like, "How do you get a reference from the NSA for your job at Apple, dude?" <laughs> I, I don't
0: know, but you know, but what, you know, it I it must occur to them, you know, and it's I, anyway, it's, we're getting off the point though of what happens if
1: everybody who works at Apple refuses to do this, and and I, or even a, a, a majority, like you need, I mean, I said two hundred partly because it's like project managers and what like there's people who have the expertise, and then there's the people who support those people, and people. I mean, who has the key? Who has the codes that give them access to like the root certificates that are used? All this stuff involves right. a very small number of people, uh, but what if they all? I mean, look, if you and I were in that position, I think we know what we'd do. We'd quit, right? right. We'd quit. And then can the government compel us? Could the government court say, you're not allowed to quit? All right. I, I can't imagine, but could they? I don't know the legality of And
0: that. it's even easier in today's, the current job market in- in Silicon Valley. No, it is. I just want to be no, out there I told- and say that I'm not even trying to say that it's an act of nobility. It would be, I, I would like to think, and, and and I would like to think that I would act on principle. But if you just want to get down to the cold hard facts of, well, you know, you've got a mortgage to pay and kids to put through college and whatever, it's like somebody who has extensive experience on Apple's security team is not going to have a hard time getting another job.
1: No, absolutely not. Right, they probably get like million dollar bonuses that are still being handled uh, handed out when they go to work for one of the unicorns. Right. And it might break their heart cuz maybe
0: they'd prefer to work at Apple but you know, rather do good work for Google than do destructive work for Apple. I mean, it's it's it, it, it to me is not uh an outlandish scenario at all. And I do think I do think I think that people who work in encryption, it's like you said that it spans the political gamut. That's one of the things that I really like about this is that in in what I, you know, in my sideline as a amateur Twitter political columnist, <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things that depresses me about the current state of decades-long discourse in the United States is the polarization of, of politics. And that so many issues are so clearly polarized and that we've we've um, self-sorted on these various lines into the two parties and that there's no interchange between them. I—, I, I it does my heart – it warms my heart that on this particular issue, um, it, it, it doesn't fall on, on one line or the other. And if anything, because the DOJ is part of the executive branch, you'd ha- I would have to say that the, you know, the Democrats have more responsibility in this case with Apple than the Republicans. I mean, there certainly are Republicans yeah. who I've seen call for – Apple should just open the iPhone.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, but do you so- I'm sure you watched the John Oliver segment. Yes, on. which yeah. was brilliant. The Lindsey Graham thing, I didn't realize Lindsey Graham had recanted his position to watch Lindsey Graham say, oh, I was wrong, I've been better informed now. You're like, coming to Jesus moment, if he can be convinced, then wow. I mean, I know he's got the easy side also of, you know, they want to support law and order, which is a a fundamental uh, GOP uh, stance, but he also can be opposed in the Obama administration by doing so, even with that. I I was just like, oh my god! Well, they they got to him. They explained it to him, and he accepted the logic of what was explained.
0: Right. Um, I think Daryl Issa, who I generally disagree with.
1: <laughs> oh God! I was just re- I retweeted him today because on, uh, he's he, he's so right in some places, and
0: he's he he understands it to a certain degree. I mean, and I know he had a background in technology before he got into politics, but a, at least at the layman's understanding that you would hope that our uh, legislators would have, he's got it. He, yeah, I guess, he he's been really good.
1: Uh, here's an interesting, just a side note. Uh, get back to 1776 because this is a musical podcast. I know uh, there's a bit. So imagine you're the engineer at Apple or a set of engineers, and you're the people who write the code that's been compelled by the government to essentially betray humanity. I mean, it comes down. Let's. I'm not even exaggerating the case in 1776. The musical it draws on. There are no apparent records that just that are. Uh, uh, came from the Continental Congress uh, because uh, they were worried about being intercepted, all kinds of stuff. So, there's 1776 is a recreation from later remembrances of people and other sources. There's a judge, Judge Wilson, who's from the Pennsylvania delegation. So, it's you've got Dickinson on one side who's opposed to voting for independence. You have Franklin on the other who's for it. This is a key vote. Wilson, who had supported Dickinson, uh, sort of out of moderation changes, essentially, last minute declares himself, and it's a dramatic moment in the musical, but it's also essentially what happened in reality. Here's the thing. He didn't want to be, this is the motivation given to him, he didn't want to be the person who killed Liberty. He wanted to be kind of, you know, under the radar, and it's like everyone will remember Judge Wilson as the person who killed American Liberty, you know? And you think about that of the programmers, you've like maybe 20 people or 15 people on a team that do it, and you're the people who killed encryption for everybody. How do you do that? That's a, a traumatic thing you'd be put through if you have that kind of conscience.
0: Right.
1: There's a, a personal
0: security angle here. And Apple has mentioned this in their, um, I think in a brief, but if not in a brief, certainly in the um, uh, one of the supplements, you know, there's the testimony from Craig Federighi and and yeah uh, I forget the guy's name that it's got a big, long name that starts with an N, uh, Sorry
1: if you listen to <laughs> <I> talk show. <know. laughs> it's uh Eric how however right. yeah, it's pronounced. Pronouncing it Germanly. Germanically.
0: It's, it's a big long Germ- Germanic name. And and but part of it is that there's a personal security angle to this where um right now nobody knows how to create as Apple calls it, government OS, a version of OS that you can install on top of an existing iPhone without destroying uh, its All encryption right. key, and then bypass the, um, the protections against the touchpad. Which once you get rid of those protections, it's easy. I mean, and and it, it, obviously using a, a long alphanumeric password or pass phrase, I guess I should say, um, would actually you know would significantly help increase the security of your phone. But even the six-digit passcode, um. It would take longer to brute force, but once you bypass the protections, you know, you're talking about, like, days or weeks, not, yeah. you know, years. Um, it, it, there are jailbreaks for the phone, zero-day, you know, what are they, zero-day exploits mm-hmm. that, that have been sold on the open market. And I've, there was one that sold for, like, over a million dollars last year. Like, a way to, you know, like a, a security form put out, like, a bounty and said, if you can get us— into uh, you know a, a jailbreaker on an iPhone that uh, under the following conditions, like let's say, like just by sending a text message or just by opening this URL in mm-hmm. Safari, um, sell for like a million dollars. Can you even imagine what the black market value of government <laughs> OS would be? It's yeah. it, and again, it's not. It sounds like we're talking about cloak and dagger, you know, James Bond. Jason Bourne movie stuff but it's not it's real right it but imagine if the identities of the engineers at Apple who knew how to make it and knew how to uh, you know knew the details of it, it it would put them in some measure of personal risk it really oh, God, I, mean, yeah, I mean I
1: think made this specific- right now they must be too imagine if you have some of right. the secrets I'm sure those people are already Apple security must already have eyes on them both from the perspective and the danger side like are these people going off to do stuff they're probably being watched but also is someone trying to kidnap i mean imagine if your family's kidnapped and you know how to do whatever and it's kept quiet and you're like yeah here's the key i mean and that's just now before government os is is built right
0: um apple has made the analogy and i think this you know this comes to uh, you know the way that the bill of rights to me you know protects uh, acts of your conscience you know um I mean, that's a big part of what the First Amendment is about. Um, Apple has made the analogy to uh, like what could a pharmaceutical company be forced to produce uh, the serum for a lethal injection, which is a real-world political problem right now. (laughs) That is not hypothetical um, either. Right, where the the states in the United States that still have the death penalty, um, because it's been banned in the rest of the civilized world um and is only you know it's really only practiced in the first world in the united states and only then in certain states um the company you know whatever they used to use to to give people a lethal injection there's no more of the serum if you want to nobody... be
1: really uh, sorry no, if you want to be really interesting coverage well, about that buzzfeed has had some really amazing coverage about this the people selling drugs from india and so forth fascinating and the state's refusing to disclose information that they should be about where they're obtaining the drugs from
0: right all right i will look that up buzzfeed very interesting. lethal injections um right because can you can can a state can, you know this is getting off into the weeds on, on on the death penalty but can a state use a substance to put a prisoner to death that isn't like fda approved and why yeah, in the world yeah. do, you know it gets down to the question of why in the world would the FDA approve a substance that, you know, <laughs> that kills people. But well, so so could the but Apple's question stands. Could the All Writs Act be used for if the could the government say, "Okay, we don't have any more of this stuff. Let's go to um let's go to Pfizer and compel Pfizer to come up with a a, a, a serum that would have the following qualities, you know, that it's, you know, painless and puts you to death."
1: Yeah, this is, uh, I think, one of the great arguments, and I think it's very directly related to what you're talking about here, is Apple uh, trying to show what I think is, they'd like to say is settled law, that code is speech, and uh, other people may be less secure in that. I think it's pretty settled. I think the Supreme Court has really made that clear and the FBI and DOJ would like to say that code is not speech when it's functional code. There's a thing where Apple is sort of ridiculing the FBI's phrase in the brief. There's no such thing as functional code. All code is the same thing. So you cannot – it's unconstitutional to compel speech. That is practically – I'm pretty sure that is an overriding principle. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure I keep reading about you cannot compel speech. No court can compel speech. It can compel you to testify or it can penalize you for not testifying, for not providing information. But you cannot compel someone to speech. And you cannot compel a programmer to program. Few of wise Twitterers were saying, wait a minute. If corporations are people, can you compel corporations to speech? Given that they are now, you know, under Citizens United and other uh, rulings, should have uh, ostensibly the same rights. So, can you compel Apple to speech if that involves code? I mean, that's the thing about this brief: is Apple is hacking away at many, many, many different, uh, you know, trees with poisoned fruit. And uh, I think the code is speech one is very compelling, even if the All writs one, which is also compelling, falls down.
0: Yeah. Yes, I I agree on. Both of those parts that to me, that's, that's the main thrust of Apple's twofold argument is Mm -hmm. that uh, they can't be compelled to do this because it's speech and it's deeply offensive to, to Apple and the employees who would be, you know, subject to carry it out and that the all rich act cannot be used to compel extraordinary action. And to me, that's when you read the government thing. And I feel I almost feel bad for the lawyers who wrote the government's brief because its I don't think it was their decision to. It's not like James right. Comey had to write the brief. It's not like Loretta Lynch, the the uh, uh, attorney general, wrote the brief. It's like it got assigned to these, um, you know, the two lawyers who wrote it. And I almost feel bad for them because I feel like it's like when you're, you know, that's what it's like to be a lawyer. You don't necessarily, you don't get to pick the side. You know what I mean? Like, like they might know their they might well know that their argument has, stands on nothing but thin air, but they've still got to write the brief. They're left arguing. At the, the The government is left trying to argue because they know that the All writs Act is supposed to fill in the gaps of statutory law. So they're left trying to argue that the use of the All writs Act here isn't compelling Apple to do something extraordinary. But it's it's really really hard to do that you know and and the gist of it is that the all i've you know for people who are you know aren't paying attention that the all writs act is supposed to fill in the gaps that isn't covered by existing law right. so if there's a law that says this and a law that says that but there's a minor issue that's in between there the all writs act uh fills it in and i think one of the examples the government gave is that uh uh somebody can be compelled to give testimony in court like you said mm-hmm. um what if their testimony will take 3 days What, what, where do they go? Right. And so maybe there's no (laughs) law that says it. The All rits Act would fill it in and that the government can just do what's reasonable and put the guy up in a hotel. You know, the government will put you up in a hotel for three days. So you you still have to testify for the full three days. But even if there's no law that says that when a, you know, that says when a witness has to testify for more than one day, the government will put them up in a hotel. It's just that the All Writs Act can fill in and and fill in the gap in a situation like that. Um, Apple's argument. And I think it's extremely compelling. Is that if the government wants to compel a company to do what they're saying they want Apple to do, it has to be passed through legislation. You have to pass a law that says yes. In this case, you would have to do this Um, because otherwise you're at you know because it's an extraordinary thing. And the other analogies I thought about, and I want to see what you think about this. But so, for example, famously, uh, I think it's the 60s. I might be getting the time wrong, but when uh, Ralph Nader uh, wrote the, what was the book, Unsafe at Any Speed? Speed, yeah. Um, about the horrible state of uh, car crash safety, uh, you know, that, and wanted to legislate that, uh, you know, to get car companies to mandate that they put seatbelts in cars. And the car industry pushed back against mandatory seatbelts under the argument that putting seatbelts in cars made cars look unsafe. <laughs> that if you got, it, <laughs> oh, right. Now this is true. I'm no, not making it's this. True, up. I forgot. Right. No, so right. they said, no, we don't. You know, this is not a good idea because it, you know people love driving cars and they feel safe and happy driving cars. But if you go in there and there's these safety harnesses, you know, safety belts, it's going to make people think that they're dangerous. Um, that's not. It, it sounds silly in hindsight. And we now have a lot of statistics that back up that it's, you know, it obviously hasn't stopped Americans from driving. And we have statistics that prove that, there, you know, the safety advances that have been mandated are, have been tremendous boons to, to public safety. But it's not a ridiculous argument. It's not ridiculous that, that, that the logic of the car manufacturers, it, it was provably wrong. But that didn't, it didn't happen through the All Ritz Act. It happened through, you know, real legislation passed through Congress that mandated things like this. And that's the way it should be. And the other analogy I can think of, this isn't national. It's all gone local, like state by state and city by city. But one of the great things of of my lifetime as someone who who really, really has always been bothered by cigarette smoke is the – Passing of laws that, that get cigarettes out of r- bars and restaurants and oh, yeah. workplaces and stuff like that. Now it was a common, common and re- oft repeated refrain, especially from bar owners, that if you made smoking illegal in bars, it would dry. It would, business would dry up because people who smoked would go to private establishments instead of public ones because they're not going to stop smoking while they drink. And there, it, the common sense that says that that argument might hold water right? It might, there's, there's some logic to that. Uh, and again, that this wasn't done through the All-Rits Act. It was, you have to pass an actual law and fight and make that argument and listen to the people, the bar owners arguing. And now I picked both of those examples, the seatbelt, the mandatory seatbelts and the, the, the getting cigarettes out of uh, bars and restaurants. I picked those specifically because I know that those arguments are on the wrong side, Right, that it's in my opinion, it's correct that seatbelts and and uh, you know other safety devices and you know very high standards for you know crash survivability are a good idea, and that I think it's a very good idea for public health uh, that cigarettes are are not are banned in most restaurants and bars now, um, but I still think that it was right that they had to pass legislation to do it. So in this case, to me, with Apple being on the right side, it's even more important that if you want to force them to do this t- terrible thing that you have to fight it out in the legislature.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think those are great examples. I mean, we could also get to, like, uh, gun control as um, part of this issue, too, is, like, what can be done under regulations, existing regulations and enforce and what requires laws to be passed. And whatever side you are about the, you know, how many guns should be out there, or guns should be out there at all in private hands – Whatever the side you are, I think I would argue I would rather have a legislative solution than a regulatory one, even if a regulatory one might be better, whether that's for allowing broader gun ownership or narrower gun ownership because without the legislative solution, an executive making a decision, it doesn't lack that consensus. So we have right. the same situation here. It's like, do you want the government to use a 240-something-year-old law uh, with strained uh, logic to upset the future of privacy and communication protection when the CLEA more recently addressed it or didn't address it in specific ways, or do you want legislators- um, you know, regardless, again, of who, which political party is in charge, it's not actually a political issue in that sense. It's a political issue of uh, how this would be addressed in a comprehensive way through a process that has various, you know, the three branches of government and the checks and balances. I don't really want an executive agency to push through something like this. And, you know, despite having, I'll admit it, I voted for Obama. Yes, twice. and uh, But I don't really like the extensive use of presidential orders, executive orders, and regulatory moves that he's using. I understand why he's doing it. I don't think they're as long-lasting, and I don't think they're – I mean, I know we're in the middle of intransigence, and you right. with a, with gridlock, you have to try things and so forth. So I understand why they're being done, but they won't have the lasting effect. They won't. They don't indicate a change of policy where something like the Affordable Care Act, they were able to actually get that passed. It became law, and you see how implacable it is to resistance. Right. I mean, look at uh, – you have the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice uh, voting in favor, surprising everyone, in favor of uh, ACA under the Commerce Clause, and uh, you know all these decisions that have come through where the ACI ha- ACA has had some, uh, you know, fallback, but mostly been upheld because it was. Law, as opposed to uh, regulatory interpretation or strained regulatory interpretation or presidential order. So, yeah. and a lot of presidential orders recently have been thrown down by the courts at various levels, and and, re- and some have not been upheld so far. Yeah.
0: You went to guns, so I'll I'll go to. I know
1: guns. Like uh, yeah, we should bring it. <laughs> But I thought you did.
0: I I yeah. hopefully I think we've done so in a way that is amenable to anybody on either side of the issue. I'm going to go to abortion. Um, and Ruth Bader right. Ginsburg, <laughs> Ruth that's, Bader Ginsburg. That's the game we're playing.
1: Guns, abortion, and all rights act.
0: <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg has argued, uh, and I think surprising many people, long argued, I think from before she was on the Supreme Court, I think it was a paper she wrote that kind of got her to the Supreme Court, or a ruling that yeah, that's right. that, um, that Roe v. Wade was actually a setback in the long run for abortion rights because it was a sweeping change by the Supreme Court, and rather than letting it work its way through the legislative branch, which would have given it a lot more—that um, things work out better and are more broadly accepted when they go through the legislature than when the judiciary passes, takes takes matters into its own hands. And again, not I don't even want to—just don't even want to touch on this side of which way it should go. Um, you know pretty clear my my views on it are known, but it doesn't matter though I think that the basic argument though that it that roe v. Wade has remained controversial in a way that a legislative solution which the u s was probably heading to at the time in the seventies um would have had more staying power. It's almost yeah, I mean, remarkable to the extent that roe v wade is remained so radioactively uh uh controversial uh, forty some years later forty Forty-four years later, that a forty-four-year-old Supreme Court decision is is still considered contentious is you know shows the the logic of uh, of Ginsburg Ginsburg's argument.
1: I I have to agree with that too. Is right? It does not matter what your stance is on abortion. A legislative decision that was made and carried out at a national level, and then enforced and uh, refined by Supreme Court rulings that narrowed or or broadened them right. on more limited grounds. People would be arguing about it in a in a different way um, right. because they would have felt like the you know they would be looking to overturn the law as opposed to right. trying to figure out how to change a constitutional precedent right. and maybe ultimately it would have become enshrined as a constitutional precedent. You would have had you know a row law and the law having passed. I think in uh, the 70s, I think the GOP uh, and the uh, Democratic Party at the time, I think, would easily have passed a law that uh, I think I actually think it would have not been. That difficult yeah. to produce consensus then, um, so let's say that happens, so you had a row law and then some row based decisions later that refined it. Uh, the, you know people would still be debating, but it. it would still be active, but there wouldn't be this notion that it could be a, just a small tweak in the composition of the court would change this for everyone because you would have to get the law overturned or you'd have to have a radically different Supreme Court interpretation. And that's an ongoing issue in the court. And it's one of the critiques of Scalia as an originalist is that uh, he was, as an originalist, he didn't care about precedent as much as preceding courts did. And you can see uh, the liberal and some conservative justices going off on rejecting, uh, on the fact that decisions uh, overturned sometimes relatively recent precedents, which is not historically... Um, the case. It's usually long periods of time before precedents are overturned by one qu- from one court to another. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, I think you're right. I mean, so in this case, let's say, it's. I think Congress addressing it, and interestingly, given Congress's approach to this, I wouldn't be surprised if Congress could reach consensus, maybe not in this one, uh, but the next one, about the direction it should take that would not be uh, as extreme as the administration's position and would not require this level of action. And even if it did, then you might have a constitutional... Uh, issue if they try to enshrine what the FBI is trying to right. do as regulatory now, action.
0: The, the big difference here, like we mm. just mentioned a few minutes ago, though, is that on abortion, it's clearly polarized between the two parties. Uh, and it, uh, the Roe v. Wade only exacerbated that. This issue, this issue of encryption, it splendidly so, is crosses the political spectrum. And I almost wonder whether if if the DOJ wins this case against Apple. Um, whether that actually polarizes Congress to pass a law to uh, uh, enshrine the right to strong encryption.
1: Oh, man, uh, that would be interesting. Left and right could join hands around the side. That's, that's always a good thing. That it might, um, but
0: it might be, that, like, losing in court might inspire Congress to do that in a way that uh, not having picked this fight at all, the FBI might have been better off you know from their desire wrong-headed desire to 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 keep these devices as accessible as possible because the other thing too the thing that's cross platform the other thing that is definitely cross platform and it's just common sense but it's easy to overlook is that um, uh, branches of government there are three branches of government don't take well to the usurpation of their powers by another branch so like you said uh, 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 President Obama has taken, and Bush did too. But both of them, in the face of uh, uh, opposition in Congress, have taken to executive orders. And Congress, whatever the order is, regardless of it, does not take poorly. Does not take well to that. And I think that uh, when when the legis when the when the judicial branch when a judge passes or, or makes an order that Congress sees as that should be something that we decide. Um, it doesn't matter what the issue is; it it just stiffens their spine. They bristle, and I think rightly so. That's sort of the way the system is designed to work.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it's true. And I think I mean we can take this too from the legislature to the people, right? We keep reading these things. Polls show that you know the support for Apple and the FBI are evenly split. And I'm like, all right, let's see what questions you ask. And the right. questions are too vague. I would like to see this question asked in, in like AB testing. So in one case, you say, should Apple uh, give the FBI the contents of the phone or whatever the questions are that are asked, yes, no, and however they're phrased, right? The other is, uh, should the FBI be allowed uh, with legal warrant from a judge to access your phone at any time uh, they deem uh, there's a legal necessity for it and obtain all the contents uh, absolutely and in plain text you know in some form of that, I think you get a different response if he sh- if he said, you know sh- should a judge allow the FBI to examine the contents of your phone at any time Well and Maybe not at any time but for in a, in a, in a criminal action uh, with a warrant.
0: it's really hard to pull too because it, it, yeah. it because it's easy for a layperson to believe in the magic solution of a way for the F for the government to get in, but nobody else that only the government, you know, which you you kind of have to be gently informed of the basic way that encryption works to understand just how dangerous, you know, how dangerous and and impossible it is to say the only people who can get in are, uh, the U S federal government with a warrant. It just doesn't work that way. Once you create, you know, once you create a backdoor.
1: I know and it's right. So there's like you could actually ask I mean basically what you're saying is uh for this poll we need to get ten thousand people we can give a two day class on cryptography and operating systems too, and after that we're gonna ask you a few questions like, yeah, I mean, that's Yeah, not and what if out. what if you
0: just precede the question with remember like uh twenty minutes ago, thirty minutes ago when I read the two quotes from uh yeah. the the uh uh the Department of Defense, the uh what do you call it? The who's in charge of the Department of Defense? The uh Uh, Secretary of Defense, U.S. Secretary of Defense and the former head of the NSA and CIA and just read those two short, clear statements and then say, do you think Apple should be forced to comply with this and then see if the poll results change? And it's almost certain it would change to some degree, whether it would change dramatically or mildly, but it would have to have some effect. So, you know, I I don't go – That this is why we don't have – this is – you know, it's exactly why we don't just – Vote on everything, you know, California style. Just have voter initiatives on all this stuff. But that's why we have a representative <laughs> democracy.
1: Yeah, and that's. I mean, this is the problem sometimes, uh, or often with jury trials, right? We've seen this with civil trials specifically, but you'd have them with criminal too. Is like, how do you get average people who who should be able to solve? I mean, in many kinds of cases of criminality or civil liability, uh, an ordinary people with reasonable intelligence should be able to spend a few days in a courtroom. Learn enough and be able to make an adjudication that's that's ostensibly fair or reasonable, right? Right. With a judge overseeing it, but how do you do that with encryption? How do you do that with most of these technical <laughs> topics or user interface design? Like you, you can't, and every outcome is going to be arbitrary when placed in front of a jury. The same thing with polls. The polls are a reflection of how a jury yeah. would probably deal with it, which would be you know. Yeah. So one
0: of the things, so Tim Cook a while back, uh, at some point, you know, not a while, but it's all been within the last month, but at one point had compared it to uh, the creation of this government OS to cancer. Um, and I think a better analogy, I've been thinking about it, that's bothered me ever since, and a better analogy to me, it's close, but to me it's a better analogy, is chemical weapons or biological weapons. And I've seen oh, other people make this comparison that creation of this is like creating a biological weapon and you can say, oh, we're going to let you keep it in a secure place and we'll mm-hmm. treat it and mm-hmm. we're going to have, we're going to devise a very precise, carefully planned procedure for the application of it so that it's only applied in this one specific thing. Yeah. Um but that there is a very good argument that the best way to avoid the dangers of, of biological weapons getting out of your control is to never create them in the first place. And that, to me, is where the cancer analogy falls down, is that nobody's created cancer. Cancer is not a... a
1: <laughs> no, I, but I think it really matters, no, though. A, no, no, I think I think you're true. It's not an intent... It's a byproduct of biological processes and maybe pesticides and right. genetics and so forth. Right, yeah, absolutely. That is, I never thought of that analogy, though. It's very and
0: I think it's it's a little... I think I haven't seen Apple repeat that analogy, and I think they realize that it's not it it's not a it's not a good enough analogy, right? Because there's this the the part of the argument that or the entirety of the government's argument is that this could be controlled, and it would never get out. It it, it given the right precautions, it would it would never get out of control. And that I don't know. I
1: keep thinking about this. Like, what if you know? Okay, government says uh, you hospital X. Um, we need you, uh, Sisters of Charitable Mercy, uh, we need you to, uh, op- to do open-heart surgery on this individual who has a uh, micro SD card implanted in his heart. And we need that data. Uh, we, and so the, church, you know, the, the hospital uh, tries to oppose it. They're ordered to do so. The court orders them to do what surgeon goes in and does the open-heart surgery right. uh, you know, to do that. I mean, that's a one-off thing too. Right. It's not even as bad. And it's like, okay, well, this is possible. Well, we have 1,000 open-heart surgeries we need to schedule tomorrow. And we will have surgeons trained in this now too. So it's very easy to do. Like, Oh no, 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 no. Not everybody has a chip in their heart. Um, all right. Let me just take a break here and thank
0: our next sponsor. And it's our good friends at audible audible.com has more than 180,000 audio books and spoken word audio products. And you can get a 30 day free trial at audible.com slash talk show. Um, if you want to listen to it Audible has it I mean you could literally I think with $180,000 uh, 180,000 audiobooks you could probably spend every minute every waking minute of the rest of your life and not not finish listening to the uh, the Audible library. Um they have audiobooks from every genre you can imagine anytime anywhere and you can play Audible's audiobooks on phones, tablets, computers, most Kindles, all the modern Kindles and even iPods. Um Audiobooks are great for flights. They're great for road trips. Uh, they are great to fill up your daily commute. Um, I think it's a great solution for everybody who wishes that I did the talk show more frequently. Um, fill in the gaps with books from audio, uh, from uh, Audible. It's it's just a tremendous resource for anybody who has the time to listen to stuff like that. Uh, I like to go when I walk and, or run through the city, uh, take a jog or whatever. Um, I want to have something to listen to. So... And it's, it, it drives me nuts if I don't have something to listen to. With audible.com, you'll never, ever run out of stuff to listen to. Um, 180,000 books. Free, free trial. Just go to audible.com slash talk show. My thanks to Audible for sponsoring the show once again. Unbelievable library at Audible.
1: All right. What else should we talk about, Glenn? Tiny phones. Tiny phones for tiny hands, vulgarian handed <laughs> phones, <laughs> tiny, tiny hands. I love the idea that uh, Donald Trump is bothered by it. <laughs> I just, he keeps sending, he sends the photocopies of his hands right. to, uh, what's Which
0: is his name? The Green, guy Green Carter. Carter, right.
1: <laughs> like every few years. It's not like he did it once. Like it's Green Carter's in every couple of years, he gets... The story, for those of you who haven't,
0: the story, I'll paraphrase it. I'll put it in the show links. It's such a funny story, and it's so telling as to Donald Trump's personality. But the story is, I think it might have even predated the Vanity Fair. Was it for Spy Magazine? Oh, it was for, I think it was Spy. That's right. right. Well, but Graydon Carter, who's long been the uh, uh, editor at Vanity Fair, and before that was the editor at the late beloved Spy Magazine, which was just fantastic, uh wrote a profile of Trump at, like it, in the eighties and I think he called him a sm- small handed Vulgarian. <laughs> <laughs> small small wait, small fingered. Small Wasn't fingered it small vulgar. fingered. Something and, like that. And in the decades since, Graydon Carter has since has said recently that, that every, you know, once a year, maybe two years go by, but then he gets another one. Every couple every couple of years, <laughs> he gets a letter from Trump with like a, a picture from a magazine pulled out. And uh in gold sharpie, a circle around the hands, <laughs> and it sharpie. just like a handwritten note that says, "Look at those hands,
1: <laughs> not small." That uh, so you know there's a a, a pack a political action committee uh, was registered by a Portland Oregon man called Trump has tiny hands, <laughs> and the Federal Election Commission on Monday. So the FEC has been deadlocked with two members, Republican appointed and two Democratic appointed members, uh, destroying the ability for the FEC to enforce election law. And it's been going on for years because Congress won't approve the third appointee who would give the balance of power to the Democrats under Obama. Many, one of the many uh, intransigent points here, right? Uh, FEC acts against this guy on Monday. FEC can't do anything. <laughs> they act against this guy requiring that he changes Trump has tiny hands packed. So he's changed his name. It's now the Americans against insecure billionaires with tiny hands. <laughs> That's his political action. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>
0: Dude but Trump famously was uh uh however however large or small his hands are, a few years ago I remember uh he tweeted something to the effect of that this is before the iPhone six came out, that Apple needs to put out a big iPhone uh, you know, get with the Times or something. Oh like that's that. funny, yeah. So Trump Trump, however small his hands are, is a fan of of large
1: phones. That's true. Well, I'm curious. My wife likes small phones. And when I use her, she has an iPhone 5 that is failing. And when I use it, when she hands it to me and she makes type large, a little vision issue, So she makes type large and I use it and I feel like I'm using a fairy phone. I'm like, little tiny fairies use this phone. It's so, And I'm like, how many years did I use a phone that was that size or smaller? And it seemed fine. I have an iPhone 6s. And now the iPhone 5 size, 5S size seems ridiculous. But she's waiting. Her phone is failing. If the SE ships or is announced on Monday as expected, then uh, she's a customer. I I would John Woltz ar- is a customer. I would argue that
0: in a certain sense, I don't know what the volume is, but in a, in a hand-feel sense, I would argue that the iPhone 5 and 5S are the smallest iPhone ever, Apple ever made. And I know that the screen got bigger. Oh, it went from three and a okay. half to four. But it's so much thinner that to me it feels smaller, and I, I I have my little museum here of old iPhones. Uh, <laughs> that because of the thinness, it feels smaller in the hand. That it feels like the smallest iPhone they ever made.
1: That that is probably it. you're right by volume and like screen maybe, edge dimensions. Yes,
0: maybe by volume it's not because of the extra length of to accommodate the, the four inch screen as opposed to three point five. But because you hold it sideways, typically you don't really hold it end to end that the volume that matters is sort of like the you know like the bottom half of the phone yeah that's true or like the bottom you know two three inches is really the volume that matters and that the whatever
1: sticks up off the top doesn't really count I, I think it's gonna be a big seller I hope it actually is a real thing it seems very reliably so that it's a real yeah. thing and uh, it's it's fun to watch I mean Apple has that uh, matrix who did that a few years ago before something came out? the iPad mini? Something came out where someone built this like this fan of like all the devices and sizes and prices. And they said, here right. are the holes and Then Apple released devices that fit in those holes. I feel right. like the the SE is absolutely in one of those holes right now. Uh, I think it's
0: fascinating that here we are. We're recording on Wednesday, March 16th. And I think the show is going to air on Thursday. Um, I don't know when people will listen. Hopefully, they'll listen before the event on Monday. But it, who knows what will leak at the last possible minute. But it's fascinating yeah. to me that the phone hasn't leaked. And I know that there was like a CAD drawing that uh, one of the rumor sites, I don't know if it was nine to five Mac or Mac rumors, probably nine to five Mac, but they had like a CAD rendering that they then interpreted as a, you know, made like a, a rendering out of. But well, we don't yeah. really know. Like the parts didn't leak. There's nobody who's held up a part that says, here's the, you know, here's the casing for the iPhone
1: SE. And I I it makes me wonder if it's shipping in like a month and they but I can't imagine they're gonna do the event and say, and you can order this for shipping on May first. It's don't gonna think be available so. day and date, I Ger- have to believe. Like German, by German, Friday rather. Yeah, I
0: think German says by Friday, which is actually kind of interesting. My you know, just my own selfish interest that it's it, I'm going to the event, I'll be at the event. I uh, I guess since I'm going that I'll probably get one to review. But if they're shipping it on Friday, I don't I'm not quite sure how how I write a review before it actually ships.
1: Yeah, that's it. It seems. Yeah, although on funny. the I'm doing a
0: Monday event. Yeah. <laughs> although on the other hand, maybe it's a very easy device to review. It's, <laughs> it's back to the old size, and it's got the new specs, and you know, figure yeah, out how like good the camera chip. Is. I think you I'm going to like I mean, it. I think I'm going to. I don't know that I'll switch from the four seven, but I might be very tempted to. I. I it's, it's going to be a close call for me.
1: I, I love that they're, I, I mean, if this happens, which seems so likely, I love that they're doing it because uh, uh, we've talked, uh, I've talked to some other folks about the notion that maybe we're getting to post-numbering that maybe this is, or maybe this model never gets numbered. I think you've written about that yeah. too. Is that like, at some point, like you know, the iPad 3 was, the, they called it the iPad 2 and the iPad 3, then it became the iPad. And um, numbers are bad for Apple, except that they're trying to, create demand, like a pull of demand for the newer thing. And I think sales figures and growth may show that they just need to be shipping out devices, um, maybe not creating the expectation that it's every September in the same way. And the new plans, I mean, the thing is with a lot of people shifting to shifting to installment plans that allow an upgrade after either 12 or 18 months, I think we're going to see, seems like the majority of people in the U.S. will wind up on a plan with either a 12 or 18 month refresh and some with like a, you know, 20 or 24 month where um, they don't pay any extra for that, that's going to flood the market with older phones. In some fashion, they'll be resold or they'll be uh, you know, uh, refurbished right. and available. And then um, you have all these people like, I mean, hey, look, I'm on an installment plan. Am I going to get an iPhone 7 or whatever it's called? Probably because I feel like that's my Apple fee is now I'm paying, I don't know what it is, 56 bucks a month. I'll just pay that forever for my phone and I'll just always have the freshest phone. Like that does not seem like a penalty to me um, the way they're marketing it.
0: Yeah to me i think it'll probably personally come down to image quality i think that oh uh, or you know for the camera that if yeah you want your 12 megapixel one If they well i don't care about that, the megapixel camera or, i'm sorry but like a right? better
1: right i care the field i want depth of field
0: well, you're not going to get that in this camera. you know. I, what know. I mean, like I know. it's not going to move it's not going to move the forward, but if to me it looks like I can take the same quality of pictures in the same lighting conditions as my iPhone 6s. Oh, oh, more I'm sorry, SC, yes. More or less that it, you know, at least to my eyes it looks like I'm getting the same image quality. I think I would prefer the smaller phone. I like the way it feels in my hand. I like the way it is smaller in my pocket. Um and i to be honest, the majority of what I read on uh the phone is Twitter, and tweets because they're so small, it doesn't matter that I can see more of them at a time on a larger screen phone mm-hmm. um and you know i i read I do read a lot of articles on mobile safari, but i don't I never minded it that much you know like to me, both screens are small and constrained for reading articles, and you just reflow them with the uh, you know, reader view or something like that. So mm-hmm. big screen to me, isn't all that appealing. I see, you know, it is certainly a trade off, but in terms of the smaller device size, I don't know. I think I'm on the fence, me and Maltz.
1: Yeah. I liked having the smaller phone. I mean, this comes back to, Hey, apparently we're both guys. So there's an issue there, which is that we don't have the tiny unusable pockets or no pockets that a lot of women have in their clothing. Uh, my friend Aaron McKean, who's at word the head of that great site. That's collecting like open source definitions of words. Um, Neat Nonprofit Project. Uh, she likes to make her own dresses, makes wonderful stuff, wrote about it for the magazine years ago. And uh, she puts pockets and stuff and she has people stopping her all the time. Wait, you have pockets in your clothing. How that It's Like I made the dress. So there's <laughs> pockets in it. Uh, my wife encounters this all the time and my wife wears, you know, stylish but not like um, like uh, fashion, absurdly stylish, unusable clothing. And um, got to think, like that was the thing with the iPhone 6, or iPhone a uh, uh, 6 Plus, when it came out, I thought I don't want a phone that big, but I'm not going to, prejudge it because Apple knows the market better. And I am like one tiny segment now of the market. I don't want a gold phone. I don't want a gold watch. I don't want whatever. Uh, And a lot of women I know uh, liked the 6 plus because they're already keeping a phone in their purse. Yeah. And this was like, this is great. I can read it. And it, it doubles as a Kindle and it serves many purposes. And so a lot of women and some men I know, uh, but I would say more of the women I know got it than men. Although several men we know, like Mike Hurley and so forth are big fans of it. Um, I feel like the, the SE, it's definitely ties more into that, like the small pocket thing or small, like not having a lot of room or stuff to carry. It's going to be for an audience that I think has been underserved and the 5S has filled that gap.
0: I'm so uh, I'm excited to go out for this event because I so don't know I I have a good guess what they're going to show us yeah, but but fun. I have no idea how they're going to sell it to us which to that's me is fun. interesting because yeah. there's two main things that they've got they got the smaller phone and they got the, uh, the the new iPad Pro that's only 9.7 inches which is effectively just a smaller iPad Pro. So how do they how do they get on stage and sell two devices that are it's exactly like the thing we announced in September but smaller. <laughs> right? That neither of them are going to do anything yeah.
1: better than the ones that are already on the market. I wonder if they'll talk about it as a family of devices. We know people have different needs and different demands. And the 5S has been a, I won't mention the 5S, they never talk backwards, right? But like, we've, you know, we filled this category in the past and now when we felt we could do something unique and new. And this is what we're doing to fill out our product line, to fit a family of needs, right? Something like that. I I don't know. They have to say something new though. There's always a new thing. This is the reason why we waited till now to do this. What is it? We don't know.
0: I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it's just like the last thing, but smaller, how they get something new out of it. There must be, but I, (laughs) that's 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 why
1: I mean, the campaign is last thing, but smaller, think different.
0: (laughs) Do you think here's a question I've had, I I keep meaning to ask this on Twitter, but uh, I'll ask you, do you think they will come out with the uh, smart battery pack for the iPhone SE?
1: That's a great question. I just, uh, I was working for Wirecutter for a while and I worked on this uh, USB battery guide. Not the battery, we didn't do the battery pack that was uh, Dan Freaks, my old friend Dan Freaks, uh, worked on the battery pack uh, uh, up front when that came out. Um, but uh, looking at a lot of batteries that are out there and what's capable and what the capacity of this thing will likely be. I have a hard time believing it because I think the whole idea this one is going to be that sort of like a very specific form, right? So if you come out with it and a battery pack, you're underselling what this phone is about. Uh because they are so much more efficient with power than with the F the 5S. I would bet they could eke 30 or 40% more power out of the same form factor than they can out of the FS with a similar you know, using the same battery capacity. And so, ostensibly, you'll have a slightly bigger battery because they're better at that, or slightly denser, perhaps. Um, and and because, everything will be so much more efficient.
0: And because the screen is so much smaller by area and by pixel yeah. count, it re- – And that – you know
1: if, They perfected that. It re- would be hard to believe that they would want to – I mean, would you want to – like, I understand the 6S, it makes a lot of sense because – it's kind of in the middle there and people I mean, USB battery packs of all kinds, not just the ones that I I our think cases have sold so well.
0: I think if they do, it will roll out on the same schedule that the battery pack for the success did, which is, you know, six weeks after the phone comes out.
1: Oh, don't steal a thunder. Yeah extra thing. And, Here's something, hey.
0: Nice. And don't don't risk the the PR backlash of Apple releases a phone that needs an external battery pack. Yeah. Right, I mean, they uh, got that I mean, anyway yeah. when they released their own battery pack, but at, at by the time November rolled around, it was a lot quieter than if they had done it on stage.
1: Can I, can I talk batteries for a second? Because I can't tell you how many batteries I've tested. In. I've, I've, I did this thing at the Wirecutter. Uh, we did a USB battery pack guide with a uh, great writer there, Mark Smarniotis, uh, who uh, did a fantastic job, he used a battery testing lab, Kadix uh, up in Vancouver, BC. Um, it was fascinating. And then I did a bunch of reviews for Macworld uh, just a few weeks ago, of usb-c equipped batteries and oh my god if you haven't touched a battery like a usb battery if you like a few years ago were like ah these are sort of terrible and expensive and they don't last long the next generation is out and like across all these different manufacturers and you can get uh, you can charge the one that i liked best in the mac world roundup was the anchor has a, a 20,100 milliampere hour um battery with usb-c and usb Wait, 20 USB. Th- Twenty twenty thousand 20,000? 20,000 and it costs 50 bucks. So it's And you can charge your MacBook about 110% from it. Wow. A 12 inch MacBook.
0: Wow.
1: That's the, I know. And I was like, you know, I was kind of watching batteries a little bit. I hadn't got into it. And the circuitry is so much better. They hold a charge for the new, like the new lithium ion cells that are being used, hold a charge better. They're so much better at conversion. They don't heat up as much. Um it's really extraordinary. So if you've been holding back on a USB, I sound like an ad for the industry, it is, but it's it like, is complicated it's, though.
0: I actually looked into it a couple of weeks ago and I was going to do a wire cutter style thing where I actually bought like three <laughs> yeah. or four just for the phone. Yeah. It was right after I did the battery case review. And I thought, you know what? I should review these little portable things because I've long had one. Uh, it's a couple of, a year or two old, a Mophie that has like uh, Mophie. My problem with Mophie is Mophie alone has too many. They have too many. They, they also it, charge
1: four times what you need to pay. It, it three to four times. It makes
0: pay. it so hard to figure out what to buy. Just I, yeah. I, anybody at Mophie who listens to this show, please, for the love of God, just get rid of three quarters of your product lineup <laughs> and just keep, you know, just tell me what's the best one to get. Cause they have like different, even just form factors of them. But anyway, they've got one that I really like that has built in uh, a built in USB cable and a built, not like, yeah, a, yeah. Uh, and it does pass through charging. Um, does
1: it do, is it, now that pass through is an interesting thing, but does it do, so it's got a type A connector you can plug into a, a DC adapter? Or yeah, it's like got,
0: a, yeah, like a standard but DC not adapter. Like, doesn't have
1: lightning though, right?
0: No, it does have lightning as a built-in. Oh, does lightning,
1: lightning and Type A? Oh, see, that's great. And you can get that. There's a travel card uh, if you want a really tiny one. Has a lightning and Type A thing that they both. What's talk Type in. A? Type A means
0: you plug it into the charger, right?
1: Yeah, Type yeah. A is like the rec- the standard rectangular one, and uh, and that's what you mostly see. Like, that's the computer side one. It's right, Ex- right. You know, it's either USB-C or Type A is what you're going to see on computers, and all the AC adapters are uh, Type A. Those rectangular plugs. Uh, but travel card is really, is really neat. Cause it has the integral lightning MFA MFI approved or licensed, um, certified, whatever. And, uh, and the one, so you only, you don't have to carry any extra cable with a travel card. I think it's like 40 bucks. So it's expensive yeah. or 35 and it only charge your phone like, uh, I don't know, like a two thirds the way or something, but or like an iPhone six, but if that's what you need, if you're like, like the question the thing, we did at the wire cutters, we divided it up into, do you need it to top off at the end, your full day at work or away and you need to get through the night or to the end of an evening, or do you want to be able to charge like for another full day of usage or on you the ro- on the road for like a week and you got an iPad. So you can get things There are now a differentiation. You can get anything from like, oh, Amazon, Amazon basics, it doesn't have a lightning cable, but it will take a regular plug, you can plug your cable into it, your regular, uh, uh, adapter 2000 milliampere hour battery from Amazon. It'll charge a phone. I think the resulting charge is at least half or two thirds it's five or six bucks as an Amazon basics add-on. So you can go all the way from that (laughs) up to like 25,000 milliampere hour, uh, like Rav power and some others that'll charge an iPad like six times or something.
0: That's really, it's really interesting to think about, I mean, I've always used them in the context of charging a phone, but it's interesting to think about charging like a MacBook that way with, and getting like a, you know, like a hundred, like you said, what 110% charge out of a, yeah, the anchor is,
1: the anchor is amazing. Anchor is a fascinating company. It's like a Google engineer and his wife started this up and she started the business, I think. And then he eventually quit Google. They moved back to China. I think they were from China originally because they moved back there. I think is what he said. And now they're shipping like, um, I don't know, a hundred thousand items. A month or something like they came from nowhere. I love anchor quality, it's like it's really great. They have a whole lineup of stuff, uh, and um, and they're making. They're kind of pushing it so that what what happened really is that a lot of companies, Panasonic, LG, and a bunch of other firms, started to make really good standardized, you know, essentially lithium-ion cells. They they're varying sizes; they're cylinders like a double A battery, but can be bigger or smaller. And these standardized components mean that nobody in the chain has to build that part, and they're all such high quality, or a lot of them are very high quality now, that it's so affordable they can stick three or six or eight into a thing with, a you know, some circuitry to handle charging and USB conversion and get, you know, so it's really all about like packaging and engineering of taking this commodity item and making it something better. Hmm. It's cool. It's the new, it's the future. I, I, the gist of my experimentation
0: with these Mophie ones, and I bought two of the other ones that don't have built in cables and you instead have to supply your own lightning cable to charge your phone from it. But the, the other ones are more like almost like basically like iPhone sized batteries. They're you know,
1: yeah.
0: They're thin like an iPhone, and a varying sizes depending on their capacity. But you have to supply your own cable. The thing that really makes them work well for me is when you buy uh, like from Amazon Basics, or I actually bought a couple from um, oh, I forget the name of the company. What's the name of that company you buy real cheap cables at? Uh, oh, Monoprice. Monoprice. So I Monoprice, bought. Monoprice. I bought I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I bought a. Bu- I bought a bunch of these little like three inch lightning cables. Which in oh, a lot yeah, of contexts yeah. make no sense at all, but like for just putting a battery in your pocket while it charges the phone, it's absolutely perfect because then you don't have – like the to me, before I bought one of these little cables to go with it, the whole, the whole thing that was such a pain and it looked ridiculous is what do you do with a three-foot cable <laughs> when you're charging it yes. in a device that's in your pocket? These little, like two or three inch lightning cables, are perfect for that. So, and to me, it's a better solution than the Apple battery pack or any battery pack for that matter. Because unless you really want to use the battery pack every single day, at which point, at which point, I really question whether you shouldn't just get the iPhone Plus size. If if that's you know if you really want it all the time every day, why don't you just buy the iPhone Plus?
1: Well, this is the thing that's interesting too. Having gone through all this battery stuff, is USB is a huge Bottleneck, and so including lightning. There's only a max amount of power you can push into an iPhone or iPod, iPad battery, uh, or even recharging. So I'm testing twenty thousand milliampere-hour batteries. It takes hours to drain these things. I got this thing. I had to order it from Japan. It's this beautiful little device. Cannot get it in America. That's a load generator. It, it it pulls two amps of load, or up to like three, I think, off a USB port and dissipates it as heat. So I could drain the damn thing. So I could test to see how fast they charge. There's a new Quick Charge uh, 2 and 3 of these standards from Qualcomm that are being built into Android phones and some other phones that can charge at higher voltages. So they, can, they charge at a relatively low amperage, high voltage, and they can recharge battery like two or three times faster than at USB voltages, even at high amperages. So USB-C hmm. is interesting because USB-C boosts the overall like wattage that you can put into something. So if uh, an iPad Pro would actually be really good with USB-C because it could safely charge its battery like four or five times faster than the limits that USB puts on it. It's why I, I mean iPad Pro. I'd love to talk to some people about that. What if uh, what if well is charge time
0: is lightning definitely a, pr- a limiting factor? What if the lightning cable started with USB-C to get the power and then was lightning into the device?
1: That's a good question. I believe that Lightning has a wattage limit that is below what you can do with USB-C by a large factor. So, oh man, of course I don't know what the limit is. I think it's I think it's only 15 watts you can put over Lightning and you can do, you know, the MacBook charges tw- uh, has a 29 watt charger and USB-C can have uh, up to 100 watts on a cable. You wouldn't want to do that with an iPad Pro, but even like a 30 a 29 watt or 30 watt charger uh for the iPad Pro I think would at like I say at least double or maybe yeah. even be uh 60 or 70% more than you can do with lightning's limits.
0: One of the basic rules of computer technology in general is that anything that's slow will eventually be fast. <laughs> right? It's <laughs> yes. true. Like it, and and you just accept it. Like you just we used to just accept that it took uh 90 seconds to copy a 1.4 megabyte floppy disk. We just accepted that. I mean because what are you going to do? You got to wait. Uh and now, you know, the idea that you'd wait a long period, a noticeable period of time to copy <laughs> one megabyte of, of data, it's laughable. So, what's slow today? Charging, yeah. listening to you talk about this, charging is slow. And it's like, you know, if you, ch- you know, getting ag- you know, we develop habits to avoid having to worry about it, charging overnight, charging while we're at our desk. But, like, you know, like my son is not good with remembering to do it. And it's like, if you're going on a road trip and it's it, or you're heading to the airport and its phone is already in the red, it's like, Oh God, what, you, what are you thinking? You know, but it's, and, and that's when you really notice, boy, it, a phone does not take a charge very quickly when you're in a hurry.
1: No, that's a big. I think that's a big thing, and that's why. I mean, Qualcomm. This is where they're trying to innovate on the opposite side, and I'm sure they would love Apple to adopt this. And Apple's not going to adopt Quick Charge, I don't think, because it's doesn't. It's not like a Lightning-based thing. Right. Uh, but I've got a couple Quick Charge three chargers here. Yeah, that but ha- a, they can't afford to be left behind, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they have, that's whatever what USB C though. They can go to right. USB C, and then they don't have to do Quick Charge. They can push more uh, amperage, or well, I think it's a combination of amperage and wattage through. Or, I, uh, wonder, and voltage I wonder. Through I
0: wonder more. if they could do a Lightning two that. Would increase the amperage, but would be uh, physically compatible.
1: I I think USB C is the direction, and I'm I'm just wondering if Lightning. I mean, I know this has been about. We've been talking about this since USB C became a thing that Apple wanted to do. Is like. It's really tricky to put a USB. It's only slightly larger than Lightning, but it's tricky to put it in an iPhone. But I think it's probably the right approach. Um, I don't.
0: I don't think the Apple's ever going to put USB c on their
1: devices. I know. I know. They, I wonder if they would add this. Is they were never no. going to add a second port on an iPad, right? But they should no. have a USB C port on an iPad Pro. and It's not going to happen. I think Lightning is becoming inadequate to the task, and I think that they are going to have to cope with that eventually. Yeah, I wonder. I
0: wonder how much of this they've foresaw and how much now they're like hmm. Painted ourselves in a corner.
1: You're, you're totally right, though. They could have, no, Lightning 2 could actually be, Lightning 2 could have USB C on one end and Lightning 2 on the other, and the same cable thing, and it's backwards compatible. But if you've got Lightning 2 circuitry and a Lightning 2 cable, you get to charge that. You totally, I mean, that is totally feasible. And I forget that. So that that could be where they're going. And then they're going to take advantage of the USB-C infrastructure for having chargers and other stuff. Right. And they really push it that way. But yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to take like seven hours to recharge an iPad Pro battery. That doesn't make sense, right? You <laughs> no. want it to take like three or two. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the thing, but on the other hand, you know this anchor, this one I was talking about that I like, it's it weighs like a pound or something. It's a pound twenty amp hours, and uh, fifty bucks. So you're sort of like, all right, well, if I need to carry something extra, I can get one of these things, and then I'm sort of set. And uh, anyway, it's such an it's I know it's such a like wonky little area, but it battery life is the thing that affects us more. I mean, you know, network speed hasn't been solved, but you can get LTE. Uh, In most places, pretty good, and uh, so battery is the next frontier to kind of resolve.
0: Oh, I definitely. I mean, there's no doubt about it that battery life is the biggest. It's the the lagging technology at the moment. It's fun
1: too. I learned so much about watt hours and C, like the number. There's a thing about like how much columns you can stick into a battery fast enough without damaging it, and some it's uh, it's wild. Like you get into that, and it's like people spend a lot of time doing a lot of little formulas to make sure everything. Matches up correctly.
0: My sixth grade battery, or not battery. Uh, my sixth grade science fair project was on
1: battery batteries. Uh, You're ahead of your time. I did a very, I did a poor job on it. I, I think I got like a B. I don't even think I got a B plus. Look, it was, my it was, my son's my son's in sixth grade. One of his comrades did a hovercraft using a modified electric leaf blower. It actually hovers and carries seventy five pounds. This is the science fairs today. I
0: really, I really half-assed my sixth grade <laughs> science fair project. Uh, my, the, the, the test was, uh, not whether alkaline batteries lasted longer. That was self-evident than, uh, regular. I remember at the time, I think all you can buy now are alkaline batteries. Like we're talking about like double A or C, those type of batteries. Uh, there were, there were regular, there were heavy duty quote unquote and, uh, alkaline. Like the DuraCell and and Energizer, and so my test wasn't whether they actually lasted longer. Of course, they did. It was whether you, at consumer prices, whether you were getting more bang for your buck with them. Clever. And well, it sounds clever, and it got it was like good enough to get the thing approved. But it it really (laughs) turned out to be not not a very exciting test, and it was actually devilishly hard because of what I uh, the way the test I devised was to use uh, uh, the same flashlight and put. These C batteries in, and then turn the flashlight on. Note the time, and then note the time it went off. But no, finding right. out what time a flashlight burned out is—oh
1: my god, this is hilarious! This was a wire cutters <laughs> battery guy. He did a review with this exact same problem. Right. They put a they put a flashlight, and they were videotaping a flashlight pointing into a box. Was how he ultimately did it. I think. See, I didn't have a video camera though. I, that I, is you was could, actually You very wouldn't have clever. had a twelve-hour videotape either. Right?
0: I wouldn't have had a twelve-hour videotape, and oh it got to the god. point where my parents got a little mad. I mean, this was not the. <laughs> This was not the most expensive scientific test that was ever performed, but it did seem like I kept saying I need more batteries. Oh my God, they're expensive. And so I kind of had to triangulate like based on when it seemed it was going off in the middle of the night. Okay, so if I started it at 5 p.m. and it went off in the middle of the night, how about I start the next one at 9 in the morning before I go, or at 8 in the morning before I go to school? And it was like petitioning my sister and my parents, like, every time you go buy this flashlight, see
1: if it's on. Right, one more thing to talk about batteries. Batteries are so <laughs> exciting. I know the listeners are delighted about it. There's a new kind of AA battery, a new kind of lithium battery you can get. It's not uh lithium. It's called, what is it? Uh, oh, I'm blanking out on the name here. It's... Uh, Nickel, nickel metal, hydride – oh, it's not lithium. What is it? There's new batteries you can get now that perform re- – rechargeables that perform so much better than the old ones because they've changed the fundamental, mm. like, chemistry of them. So in the past, you would get really uh, terrible recharging performance, and now um, you get uh, – there's so much better uh, because of this thing. So you get this – it cycles, like, 500 to a 1,000 times – Mm. Um, it uh, uh, you, it'll, it'll maintain a charge longer. Like all the things that used to drive you nuts about rechargeable batteries, the new generation um, when, now is avoiding that.
0: When Jonas was younger, and he had a lot of kids' toys, we d- I did the right thing. I volunteered. I took this, undertook this myself, and I did the right thing and bought like forty. 40- double a rechargeables and 40 triple a for the toys that took the and a whole just a whole slew of these i think i got them from a company called like green battery or something like that that was oh yeah highly yeah. rated and a charger yeah. that would charge a bunch of them at once and then for all of his toys we used them but it's it quickly became clear that boy they ran out faster
1: than like like it was so
0: tempting to just buy the big pack of Duracells L's <sighs> and put put
1: them in there that's what I did. We went from rechargeables to Costco alkalines, and I yeah. always felt terrible. I'm like, I'm destroying the earth because, you know, instead of being able to use a few seconds, the uh, sense of electricity because they weren't reliable. But yeah. over and time, it, almost everything I have is lithium-ion battery-powered now anyway. It all has an internal battery, so I have yeah. very, very few things that require one. Yeah. They seem
0: to do really poorly in remote controls, too, for some reason, because, like, replacing the batteries in a remote seems like something that you should only have to do, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, more than a year right i i don't know i haven't i haven't changed the battery in in our remotes in a long time whereas when we were using those those rechargeables it seemed like it was like all the
1: time yeah these new this new generation uh, what are they called they' nickel no they are they're nickel metal hydride nickel metal hydride n-i-m-h uh low self-discharge lsd i don't know where you'd heard lsd before that doesn't seem like a problematic abbreviation to use no. at all uh, they um I'll They promise. last for sometimes I think now it 's they have months or even years where they 'll maintain their um charge and they can do like I say hundreds to thousand plus cycles so hmm. and that these are relatively new so if you were buying batteries like three to five years ago you 'd be frustrated and if you buy this generation and the and you have to carefully like, like i said wire cutter is good review. Of them, and you have to look for brands and types because some of them vary even among capacities. They can be better or worse, but a uh, much better experience.
0: All right, let me take one last break here and thank our final sponsor of the show. It's our good friends at Fracture. You guys know Fracture, they're the company that prints photos directly onto glass. You can go to fractureme.com, and if you use the code TALKSHOW10, just TALKSHOW10 you'll get 10% off your first order. The code is easy to remember, talk show, 10. 10 is the 10% you'll save off your order. Now here's the thing, Fracture pictures look great. They make awesome gifts. They make a great way to take the photos that you have on your phone, in your you know, iCloud uh, account. Uh, that you've never actually printed and put them into the analog world. It's the best way to do it because they print them right on glass. They ship in these amazing packages that have everything you need to hang them up on the wall, all included. So you don't need to frame them. They are a frame. It's just an edge-to-edge piece of glass that's ready to pop on the wall, prop up on your desk, put it on a mantel. Could not be easier. And you never have to worry about all the stupid little fiddly things you do when you get a, a regular printed photo on paper into a frame where it has to be perfectly aligned and then you seal the frame back up and it it tilts off 2% and you have to open up the frame again and redirect it and try to get it to stick so it's perfectly aligned. Forget it, you don't have to do any of that. You'll get a better looking image and a better quality and a much more impressive display uh, from Fracture. And uh, it, it, it so it's better quality and it's easier. So uh, you can't lose. Each Fracture is hand-assembled and checked for quality by their small team in Gainesville, Florida. They're great people, a great company, and they really do, in addition to having a great product, they really do offer great service. So just go to FractureMe.com and remember the code TalkShow10 when you check out, and you will save 10%. Uh, well, we should wrap up. We've been talking for a while. Anything else? What, what, what else is on the agenda? Anything else you think that they're going to do at the event next week? Little- I wonder
1: if they're going to slipstream in uh, maybe some kind of Wi-Fi update or cellular or something because I feel like the, wi- the Wi-Fi equipment's getting pretty old. I think they sell a lot of it, and uh, somebody's written about Wi-Fi a ton over the years. <laughs> I'm like, they're kind of like two or three years behind some of the features in the marketplace. So I wonder, I wonder what they'll do. Did you um, see the new thing?
0: Walt Mossberg had a review of it. It's called the E
1: something, and it's like a bunch of little pods that you put around your house to sort of yeah, create a the- network. Eero, I'm like not so hip on it because I feel like it's, it's expensive. I saw a review of it where they're like, this is great. Uh, I had a $200 airport. Eero. E-E-R-O. E-E-R-O. Uh, the thing after Eero Saarinen, I guess, the great uh, Finnish architect. Eero Saarinen, a great answer if you're doing uh, either a Trivial Pursuit or... Or Crossword Puzzles, E-E-R-O, Saarinen. Uh, He designed the dorm I lived in in college, which had no right angles. We hated it so much, so much. You couldn't put (laughs) anything up against the wall. Goddamn Eero Saarinen. And it's beautiful. He designed the the Dulles Airport. Oh, okay. Okay. I believe that's right. I'm saying that now. I don't know. But I think he's a famous architect. This has nothing to do with him. I hope they license the name. <clears throat> uh, yes, he designed the anyway. So, Eero, yeah. So, there, so I read a reviewer, someone said, "Well, I had a two hundred dollar, one hundred eighty dollar uh, Apple uh, Airport Extreme, and it didn't reach everywhere. So, I bought three of these things, and it was great, and they're two hundred dollars each." And I'm thinking that doesn't actually prove that they're better. Like you need to do this side by side. So, I don't know. I think their notion is they're trying to make uh, it's you know it's simpler. They're small, they're inobtrusive, and they think they automatically pair over Wi-Fi. Um, so that's a nice idea compared to having to go into configure crap and airport utility. I mean, I've been writing about airport utility for like twelve, fifteen, I don't know, since it came out, two thousand one. And it's never been a great piece of software. It's gotten better, but it's not it's always done. It's always done well compared to the competition, but it's correct. Yes. It's yeah, I have a I have a TP link Archer C seven, which is one of the top rated uh, routers from you know, not from Google or Apple, uh, and it's like 90 bucks, and it's 802.11c, and it's great. And their interface is dog's lunch. Like, I love them, but there's like 40,000 options. And right. it's and it's like, there's no streamlined, like, I want to do this thing. It's like, no, here, we're going to give you, we're going to throw every single thing we could put in the firmware at you. It's not great. That's not what people want. Right. A lot of them, it's
0: almost like you're just opening a
1: .conf file. That's <laughs> exactly right. <like, laughs> Vomiting Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's, I mean, but I love the idea. So the Eero is... They're trying to get a very high profit margin in order to take all the pain away. And there's, you know, there's market for that. Uh, You look at something like Nest Cam. Nest Cam is interesting because it's not, you know, it's premium in the market. It's not actually that much more expensive than uh, many competitors that offer similar features. It's a lot more competitive than the cheapo IP cameras that you have to do a ton of configuration for and don't have a cloud service. But Nest Cam's was sold in, I think, the millions at this point because you plug it in and you're done. Right. Yeah. that's nice. I like that. I can't
0: help but wonder. That's you've you've put the idea in my head. You know the Wi-Fi idea is. I haven't heard anything like that, but it does seem like it might be overdue. And it's a technology that's <laughs> constantly marched forward ever since introduction. And so, therefore, it seems like maybe it might be due. Um, and it would tie into maybe just the basic uh, home kit. You know, who knows, maybe they have something, uh, you know, I'm not trying to get anybody's hopes up, but maybe they have some other kind of home kit, you know, stuff you plug into your house uh, stuff to announce just yeah, because it, it would be a good annou- it would be a good event to do it because it's not going to be, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it, it, it clearly it's on campus. It's in their little town, town hall. So it's not going to be a flagship event. There's no blockbuster that's going to be coming. Otherwise, they'd held it in a bigger venue.
1: Well, the fourth-generation Apple TV, as I recollect, it has HomeKit hub features, right? It's got right. Bluetooth in it and whatever. And uh, they haven't rolled that into the Wi-Fi devices. So right. uh, I could see them doing – the other thing they could do is do some kind of simple setup like you do when the Apple TV works right. When that's worked, like hold your thing, hold your phone near the device, now you can set it up. That's really cool. And when that worked for me with the Apple TV, I really liked it. I could see them adding Bluetooth. Uh, <laughs> when it worked. For you. When it worked. I know. I got it to work once. Uh I like my Apple TV a lot more now that I can use the remote app. Like I, I use I use it a lot more um, since they updated to support that. But uh, Wi-Fi stuff is often slipstreamed in. Like they'll put in a press release and not announce it right. in a March or April event. I think the last few generations of real improvements. So
0: yeah, like and it that. might make it might make for something that it would that they could demo because that's what I that's what I kind of feel like they might be you know hit hit up is you know just something that they can demo on stage to fill an hour.
1: Yeah, and HomeKit has I feel like HomeKit has been a very weak rollout. Like I think they expected to have more a year ago to offer. And um I don't know what the deal is. Like I mean it's be it's harder to corral a lot of third parties together and uh, Apple didn't want to take center stage in making an ecosystem. They want to make the hubs, which makes sense, but it feels uh I mean USB-C is only right now starting to hit the mainstream and Apple, in that case too, did not take the center stage in building an ecosystem. They built stuff you could plug in, and, or plug into. And uh, I'm just already only now reviewing some USB-C docks for uh, MacWorld that do pass through power. And this is the first generation of those that have done those. Are just coming out now a year later. Yeah. So I think Apple. I I don't think it's ill-advised. They shouldn't be focused. They shouldn't be building a USB-C. Um, you know extra devices and adapters and crap. They should be focused on the core thing. They shouldn't be building home sensors because that's not, they should be putting the value in the right place. But I think they're seeing the penalty of the market not leaping to their um, to their needs.
0: Yeah, I think it's the, the penalty of when they don't do it all themselves, you know, sometimes nothing happens. Because it seems like, it just seems like HomeKit is one of those things that is now, I think all of us have kind of loosely filed it under, or we've at least started shifting it towards the whatever happened to pile. Right? Yes, yeah, yes, whatever yes, yes. yeah. Whatever I happened. Yeah, whatever happened. I remember. There, that. You got
1: these little bits and pieces that comes out, but there's nothing comprehensive. And I'm, you know, after bugs in Nest cams and Nest thermostats and other things, like I, and some of the security things that are coming out, uh, the FTC putting action, uh, you know, they didn't order against uh, a company that didn't properly secure its equipment. Strange how the FTC is uh, giving penalties for not securing. Devices against intrusion, <laughs> which Odd. brings us full circle, <laughs> exactly. Odd <Right>. thing there,
0: <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good guess. And that you know, and I guess the other wild card
1: would be if they come out with new MacBooks of some sort, yeah. That's been a year since yeah. the 12 inch MacBook, so it would be time. But I have one, I don't know, I, I love mine. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm one of the few, but I, it's my favorite computer since my Duo 210. I don't love the keyboard. I cope with the keyboard, um, but I love my Duo 210, and I think I love this one as much as that. In between, I had a lot of bigger laptops. I didn't love quite as much. <laughs> Titanium I liked a lot. But.
0: Well, I don't know. It seemed, it just seems to me like, and I know that I, I'm just not cued into Intel's roadmap like a lot of people are, yeah. and I know that a lot of it hangs on that, but it just seems like a device that y- you can kind of knock for being too slow, whatever improvements Intel has <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 has gotten in a year would be
1: worth putting out a new revision of the product. It's true. Although I've laid out like a 1200 page book in InDesign on my MacBook. I've edit audio in audition adobe audition with multiple tracks it can't do real-time effects but it lets me edit at least and play back in real time without applying all the effects and and i like the dense screen i i wanted to replace my air which was underpowered and didn't have a retina and i want and this is the closest thing i could get that was like affordable and and met it and I, a year later i'm still pretty delighted with it
0: yeah uh well we'll know i uh we'll be at the show i'm gonna i don't who knows the famous last words but i might try to do like a uh um, mini episode of the show, not live from the event, but maybe record something ad hoc with any anybody else who's going to be there, who who will give me five or ten minutes of their time. Sort of a, do my thoughts and observations on the event right afterwards, Monday afternoon. Oh,
1: that'd be fun. There'll be a lot of people, you know. There, I've been seeing. Uh, uh, I'm not. I'm not going. I'm Seattle. I'll be covering it remotely for MacWorld, but uh, Susie Oaks will be there. And uh, okay. Mr. Jason Style, I'm sure, and Serenity Caldwell, I understand. So yeah. it'll be, uh, the old gang will be there it's in different guises. <laughs> People who are
0: readily vol will readily volunteer to be on a podcast.
1: Exactly. Yeah, they don't know anything about podcast. are you talking This about?
0: is a real stretch for you, Jason. <laughs> exactly. But would you would you consider being on never, a
1: podcast? No, he's only yeah, he's he only records, I think, fifteen a week now, the poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm exaggerating.
0: I'm looking forward to it. I, I I know it's not a blockbuster event, but I almost feel like these are the ones that are a little, they're more interesting strategically to me because the bigger ones are a little bit more obvious strategically.
1: Yeah, this will be fun. I, th- I think I love that we don't know for sure as much, despite yep. the leaks, the fact that there's just not as much, I mean, there's a lot of stuff known, but not seen. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, totally. Uh,
0: Glenn Fleischman, anybody who wants to uh, see your work, how? I mean, you, you're everywhere.
1: You're at Macworld now. I, I've been ready. yeah, I read a lot for them. I, you know, I got a book on Slack that's coming out soon. We're syndicating it at uh, Tidbits. They have a neat model where the first two chapters are up there now for free. If you go to tidbits.com about using Slack, because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people your age and mine, John, they've been told they have to use Slack. Now, Slack's fun to use. <laughs> But I keep coming across people like, okay, I got to use this new tool. How does it work? And I'm like, all right. So the uh, first book is about that. It could be the first two chapters. It'll be out in a few weeks, the full book, and then also a, a smaller compendium. Uh, you know, I got name checked uh, at S- South by Southwest. I wasn't there. People start telling me, Stuart Butterfield's mentioning your name on stage. I'm like, what did I do? do? See, <laughs> so, you know, like, what did I know? I've known Stuart in passing for like 15 years. I'm like, what did I do? Just full circle, very briefly, I'd mentioned in passing Roman Mars, the host of 99% Invisible, great podcast. He says something about the future of articles reporting on business will be um, people posting Slack screen captures, right? And I respond, oh, well, you know, they'll just put steganographic um, pixel identifiers, Slack will. So when you take a screen capture, it'll be able to identify it. <laughs> and so Stuart on stage says something like, Glenn Fleischman mentioned this. That we're not going to do this. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" But anyway, it was very funny. I was like, huh. "Why am I being talked? What did? Somebody, what did I say?" It's like it's just saying that they will not be inserting a security uh, identifier.
0: I did good. not know you were writing a book on Slack. That is fantastic. It is a great idea. Uh, it's
1: it's fun. I love it's it's really great. Um, I think and I'm it's in well like five Slack teams. Yeah, so that's. Uh, but people can read two chapters now, and then there's more. We'll have the book out in a few weeks. But uh, yes, find me at Macworld. Find me at tidbits.com, and um, and more to come.
0: Uh, and of course, at Twitter, uh, the very quiet, seldomly updated uh, at Glenn uh, with two ends F account.
1: I took two weeks off. It was a good break. <laughs> I did. I had no tweeting for two weeks. It was really good. Was it hurt? Did it hurt? No. It was actually. It was good. It was good. It's interesting. It's uh, it, being on Twitter during the political season is very entertaining. But I kind of you know backed off a little from it. Now coming back, I, I'm enjoying it again. Glenn has. <laughs>
0: Planets. of over f- 401,431 tweets. You took the break back. right at
1: the 400,000 mark, right? I did. I, I essentially auctioned off the tweet to raise money for Planned Parenthood. And I raised, uh, I think people contributed almost $3,000. As And someone got my 400,000th tweet as a result. So that was, that was my little... Taking a break. Uh, I, I just
0: know that right now there's a lot of people. We've been going a long time. It's a long show. People can tell it's over. They're like, "Oh, come on, four hundred thousand tweets." This is when you know <laughs> these guys are starved for oxygen, and now Gruber's getting goofy and he's making shit up. Nope. And too- I'm <laughs> telling you right now, if you go to Glenn Strutt, that account, four hundred one thousand. I will leave the math of dividing the number of hours in a day and the number of years that Twitter has has existed. I will leave that up to you. I'll leave it as an exercise to you. Fire up pcalc on your iPhone. And, uh, and get Glenn's tweets per day output. He's oh, probably gosh. tweet. I'll bet you've tweeted during the show. I'll bet if I, I look right now that you've tweeted
1: while we recorded this show. I've you, withheld. But you know, Slack no, actually drains. I, I'm, I'm respectful of your time, John. Uh, Jice... <laughs> I, I'm listening intently. Uh, Slack has driven, has taken some of my tweeting away because some of the people I used to communicate with a lot with on Twitter, we now have, are in Slack rooms, So the incomparable network. It is um, absolutely. I understand. the Re- Relay FM has a big chat room. There's a, a lot of the podcast networks because hosts on podcast networks all over the place. Yeah. Uh, one thing I like about Slack, just for those listening too, it's the fact that you can use it free with like up to 10,000 people and get most of the features is a really amazing freemium model. I think they have like, like, million of their users are daily users are in that mode, and like 600,000 are paying for service. So, um, most of the Slack teams are under free, and it's it's just nice to have a a forum that's private where you can have these discussions. Well,
0: I will uh, make sure to get the link to the book uh, in the show notes. Glenn, thank you for your time. This is a great discussion. It has been
1: a great pleasure, John. Thank you very
0: much. Talk to you soon.